This is Alex. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. Be sure to head on over to the BatmanUniverse.net to help support the TVU server cost drive. Did I do it correctly, Tim? I think you got it perfectly. Okay, good. This is episode it's episode 115. Uh, I'm Dane, and I have Tim with me. Tim? Yes, I am here. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a great two days. We got a new Rogue One trailer on Thursday. Yes, Yesterday, we I went to a 311 concert. And now <laughs> today, I'm podcasting with you. So three great days in a row. We're not going to get better than that. So what, was the, what is going to be the best out of the three? The, the Rogue One trailer, 311, or doing this podcast? Today? Oh, come on, dude. It's doing this podcast. I mean, what better <laughs> thing in the world is to spend a Saturday afternoon chatting with you and talking batman and all that stuff come on you're so bad at lying tim <laughs> it's got to be that 311 i'm sorry <laughs> i was trying to be nice but... how was it 311 show was awesome but the only downside was there were some <laughs> mishaps as far as uh, some extra tickets we had and who was gonna go so we got there late yeah. and it was because my brother got these special like vip tickets yeah and they said you know free like vip valet parking and I got there, and couldn't find the darn thing, and nobody knew where it was. So it eventually just came to where I just had to say, "Screw it, I'm just parking in the garage, and <laughs> I'll just pay the parking fee." And then even after the show, we asked, "Like, where was this valet parking from the people who work at the Hollywood Palladium?" And they're like, "I don't know. Like, no one knew about it." So I was thinking, "Was there even <laughs> really any valet free parking for this VIP ticket?" I, but, <laughs> I mean, if it's not out front, like in, in front of the venue. Or in front of the restaurant or whatever. Yeah. Then where else could it be? Yeah, and it said the street that it was supposed to be on, on like the pass that we had for it. Like there wasn't down the anybody street, there. It's right by like behind the palladium and nothing was there. Mm. So yeah, so I thought I missed a few songs, but then I checked out the set list today and it there's I missed about ten songs. <laughs> but it was my thirteenth three eleven show, so I guess and I'm going to see them plenty more times before they yeah. they stop touring. So if one of them was a show where I missed the opening bit of songs, I could live with that because the rest were it was a great show. We had great seats, so it was an awesome show. Did you really need the the um, the valet parking? Not really. It wasn't that far, but it was included as like as far oh. as the VIP ticket. So I wasn't planning on paying that extra fourteen bucks for parking, but. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so so what else did you get with the VIP pass? Or? It was like the special section. It was like in the balcony area. Normally yeah. I like to be on the floor for concerts, but this was it was pretty nice. And you get like this kind of like this bench area with some tables, like private bars and like private bathroom stuff for those who are in that VIP section. So it was cool. That's good. But there's a part of me just like I still like to be down at the bottom with, you know, the crowd Everybody getting all else. into it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, and I'm sorry I couldn't send you the show notes last night, Dane. I was it's all lacking. Your fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> so, so where was this uh, concert at? The Hollywood Palladium. Oh. It's like on it, Sunset Boulevard where there's a bunch of other concert venues and clubs. Is it a nice TV. venue? Yeah, it's nice. It's, oh. a very, it's pretty small, too, so it's a good place to see a band that you really like. 
Yeah, but it's not so small where it's you can't see the band, right? No, yeah, it's it's perfect. Because I've been to a couple of those where, I mean, I went to go see Nine Inch Nails, and it was the um, I don't know what you call it. Um, you, you know where the it, it it was kind of in like think of a basketball arena, right? Well, okay. there's the basketball court, and there's seats all around. Yeah. They just pushed everybody into the the ba- where the basketball court would be, and I could barely see uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, that's things. I don't like going to shows anymore. There are venues like that, arenas or basketball courts. It's just yeah, unless you're you know on the floor, kind of in the front, it's not the same experience as you would for smaller venues like that. Yeah, but it's hard to stay up there. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, to, to stay up front. I know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to get there super early and just stay there for the whole time. Yeah. Because I would say the front, at least concerts I've been to, the very front section, you don't have to worry about, you know, moshing or people like move, like getting into where you lose your spot because of yeah. what's going on. I think if you're in the very front, you can stake your claim and stay there. But like anything behind that, <laughs> you're probably going to get pushed back a few times. Yeah. If the crowd really gets into it. But I also went to like, uh, uh, I also went to a Pearl Jam concert, right? Okay. And I, for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to get tickets on the side of the stage. Oh. <laughs> and so, like, there's the stage, there's seats in front of it, and then there's these, it looks like stadium seating on the side, like the stadium seating at, at the theater. Uh-huh. Okay. And we're sitting on the, on, on the left-hand side, so you're craning your neck, I mean, you're turning your neck left, and... It's okay if the band is playing for like two hours or whatever, but with the opening act and Pearl Jam playing for like three and a half hours, it hurts your neck really bad. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know which way I prefer. Like, to have an <laughs> uncomfortable seat or to be in that, oh, I forget what it's called. It depends what, yeah. what hurts more the day after your neck. Or like the back in an uncomfortable seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And plus too, like you're 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 standing up both ways anyway, right? Yeah. Mm. Because you know you're gonna be standing up if you're sitting if 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 you have a seat, and you're standing up if you're, you know, kind of in the mosh pit or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't like sitting down for content anyway. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, you not get into it. <laughs> like that's not the point. Like nodding your head and everything. Like no. I like to be quiet and conserved. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> but Dane, if you would have went with me last night, you would have got to heard the one three eleven song. You know, Cumber Original. They did play that one. Well, they don't always play that. No, what's good about three eleven shows is they mix up their set list every night. It's not like all their hits and that's it, or it's like a set uh, oh, list of songs good. they do. They always mix it up. So sometimes you're going to hear some you didn't. Even if you like someone who follows. Like the course of the tour, you go to every show, you're going to hear a different batch of songs every night on the tour. So they must have to pull out songs that like are from the B side of something. Exactly. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. wow. And you know, this is kind of a good and bad thing <laughs> with them because they're not really one of the biggest acts and bands out there. They don't yeah. have to worry about playing, you know, all just their hit songs. They know their diehard fans are at these shows, so they could do like deep tracks and B sides, like you said. It doesn't all have to be the hits. <laughs> so everybody knows them. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a guy like me that only knows Come Original. Yeah. <laughs> What's that album called? Sound 16 System. One? Sound System. That's the one song I know, Tim. The 
one song and, and one album. <laughs> and isn't there a song like Amber or something? Yeah. That's probably their second biggest hit. Oh. Down and Amber are probably the two biggest songs. Because whenever they do, especially Amber, whenever you hear that opening guitar riff, the crowd just erupts with cheers and applause. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. the diehard fans, that's like the yeah. song where you take a bathroom break or get a beer or something. Because oh, because you, you still want to be cool to all your friends. <laughs> yeah. plus that, that is the one song they do every concert because it is such a big hit. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the Eagles playing Hotel California. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a diehard Eagles fan, you don't cheer for that one. Yeah, it's like that's when, that's when you sit down. <laughs> you sit Which down. Actually, I saw a few people do last night. Really? During Amber, yeah. So it's their biggest hit. It's the it's the one that put the band on the map and you know made it so that they can continue to make records and be a band and tour and you get to see them and you know things like that. But you're not going to cheer for it. Well, you cheer. You just sit down and you know <laughs> oh, relax a little bit. Quietly contemplate. That's, that's the breather. <laughs> yeah, qu- quiet and um, reserved. Exactly. Yeah, but you can't really do that at a three eleven concert, can you? No, so that's why they take that chance during Amber. Yeah. I mean, maybe like if it was one of those indie acoustic bands, maybe it could be quiet and reserved. Yeah, that's where you can sit down at a show. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, to me, if I I were to go see one of those bands, I I, I feel like I would get bored after a while because it's, 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 it's all quiet and slow and it's soft, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. And hopefully it would be better. Because I saw the Foo Fighters when they went on an acoustic tour about 10 years yeah. ago. And that was really good. Because it's not like all the songs they were playing acoustically, but they're not all a slow tempo. There were some fast beat tempoed songs, which made it like a good variety for an acoustic show. Oh. Well, that's great. You, I, I, I keep on forgetting that you like the Foo Fighters. Yep. Three Love Foo Fighters and Weezer are like my big three of the current favorite bands right now <laughs> oh that's good but anyway uh rogue one yes we got the trailer for that <laughs> the Before first awesome thing this week <laughs> yeah so what did you think tim amazing awesome yes. fantastic <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's easy to say this about even during when the prequels were coming out when we get a new trailer it's like this is gonna be the greatest star wars movie ever <laughs> let's continue with the force awakens trailers and now uh, the Rogue One trailer, it looks incredible, man. I can't wait for it. Yeah. I, I trust you had the same reaction. <laughs> to it, right? No, no. I, I thought you were going to keep on going. So I was <laughs> like, oh, Tim's going to go on a monologue and I just got to sit here and be quiet. I no. definitely could. I'm restrained. <laughs> <laughs> no, you already did that on the, the saga continues. Exactly. <laughs> um, the, the first thing that struck me is how different it looks from all of the Star Wars movies we've ever seen. Yep. It's, it looks gritty, way grittier. And the other thing that, that, that struck me is the, the effects, like the Star Destroyers. They look almost like the original ILM uh, effects to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's you know, the cinematography or something. I don't know. It it it, it just reminded me of um, of the original ILM effects, and throughout the whole trailer, I was like, "Are they going to show Darth Vader? Are they going to show <laughs> Vader? Uh, they're not going to show Vader. Dang it!" And then you get that last one second clip, and it it, it just told, it it makes the trailer for me. Yeah, it's the great 
like cap off to already an awesome trailer. It was like yeah. when I was first watching it, I was watching it on my phone and I saw the title come up that said Rogue One, you know, signaling the end of the trailer. Yeah. I tapped my phone real quick to see how much time's left because I, I, I have a feeling I know they're going to have a little <laughs> thing with Vader at the end. And I saw the time. I'm like, okay, there's a few a good amount of seconds left. I think we're going to get it. So I, I hit play again. And yeah. The back of Vader's helmet and the breathing. And yeah. it's glorious. <laughs> yeah, that was the best. Also, Ben Mendelsohn in a cape. Yeah, I mean. really, really evil. <laughs> I know. He had that stern look on his face. Yeah. He's like one of the only few characters so far that we haven't heard talk yet. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. him and the the pilot, uh, Bodie Rook, who was he's in like the Imperial flight gear, but he's with the Rebels. He had like a few quick shots in this trailer, but him and Ben yeah. Mendelsohn are I think the two only two major characters in the movie we haven't heard speak yet. But all the rest of the characters in this trailer too, I'm I'm just excited about all of it. Like you said, the the environments and the planets look awesome. That's what really stood out to me the most in this trailer was how awesome these planets and the cinematography for this looks, but the characters too. Yeah. I'm loving the interactions between all of them. And I mean, <laughs> that moment with Donnie Yen saying, I fear nothing. All is the will of the force. I love him saying that because he's not force sensitive, but he's someone who believes in it. I just think that's a cool layer to add to a star Wars movie. Jin and uh, Cassian, the two of them are going to be the ones who start this journey off and then coming across these other characters and seeing Saw Gerrera from the Clone Wars and see his relationship with Jin and how that's going to play into things. All that stuff is just going to be super excited for this movie, man. How's Jin going to play into the whole Star Wars story? Because, you know, she's just... She, I mean, she's more than just... Uh, uh, what is she, a thief? Yeah, she's just... Yeah, you, you know she she's... She rebels. <laughs> yeah, you know she's something more than... What she claims, just like um, Ray, right? Well, her father, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who we haven't seen at all in yeah. the trailers, he plays a big part in it, which again is probably going to tie into her because they say he's both wanted by the Empire and the Rebels. They're like they're both trying to get their hands on him because of what he knows about the Death Star. Yeah, and the thing about uh, Mads Mikkelsen, I think he's going to be like the Max von Sydow of this movie. Where he's just gonna have a little part, but yeah. then you gotta read all the times to fully get what kind of character he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening too. Yeah. So positive. Still, oh. st- still, still excited about uh, Rogue One. Oh, without question. I can't <laughs> yeah. This movie. Yeah, like I said on, uh, I don't, know, I don't know what episode I said it on, but. Every single picture, every single trailer I've see, I, I see of Rogue One, I get more excited about it. Mm-hmm. I guess my only negative about this trailer, we didn't get any new shots of the Death Troopers, which you know are just almost the coolest looking troop armor out there behind the clones and Captain Phasma. But yeah, I, was to, I was about to say, don't forget Phasma. No, I'll never forget Phasma, even yeah. though her role in The Force Awakens it's kind of forgettable, but <laughs> I can't help but feel so, some of her parts got cut. Oh, they definitely did. There yeah. were shots of her on the attack of Maz Kanata's castle, and we didn't see one single shot of her there in yeah. the movie, but she was definitely there. Mm. She's going to redeem herself in episode eight. Just wait. <laughs> if not, I'll have more egg in my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, Speaking of movies, I guess we can get into our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. So get out your 
VHS tape, get out your projector, get out your HD DVD, get out your beta, beta max, um, laser disc, laser disc. That's get what I'm here that. for. That's my role in this podcast. Remind <laughs> you of LaserDisc. Media get format. out that vinyl record size <laughs> disc that you have to flip over. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just cue it to the 65th minute because um, we've done 65 of these so far. Can you believe it, Tim? Nope. We're almost going to get to another milestone. An hour and 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah. And. Um, so, are are we actually going to see some action in this scene, or no? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, so three, two, one, hit play. See, this ties in already to our Rogue One discussion. As for yeah, Dan Mendelsohn die. <laughs> <laughs> and we got Bruce and John Blake's conversation in the car. Hopefully. It doesn't last four episodes like them on the Bruce's couch. <laughs> oh, man. Was that four episodes? <laughs> <laughs> I think just about. No, this one is kind of fast. I mean, they just talk in the car and Bruce gets dropped off, right? Yeah. I do yeah. like the dialogue they have here with Bruce explaining to John what the whole point of him being Batman was. Even it's though it's not, not my particular favorite reasoning behind this version of Batman as far as being a symbol. But it still works for the story that no one was telling. You figured it out really fast. Mm. Oh, Catwoman. See, the scene's over already. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I have three seconds, Tim. Okay, now it's over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but we got out of the car sequence. <laughs> That's good. I mean... See, the scenes are moving along faster. We're getting closer to that Bane fight. I kind of want to see the underground scene with uh, Catwoman and um, uh, Batman. Yeah, that would be cool. I don't know. I don't think that's going to last very long, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. That one's kind of quick. And then and then Bane monologues for a little bit. So we're going to be stuck there, too. Yeah, I'll I'll be happy stuck in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> that could last a long a little while. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but anyway... Uh, I guess we're going to keep on with the movies. And uh, Tim, why don't you tell everybody what are, what could possibly be our future topic for this episode? Yeah, if only there was some big new DC movie that came out last week. <laughs> and of course, that being... Well, of course, that movie is Suicide Squad. Can't even talk. Um, so, yep, Suicide Squad came out last week. And uh, before we get into the actual movie, it's just, got to say... And the, before the week of its release, it was just again disappointing to see the bad critical reception that another DC movie has gotten. And before the reviews came out, um, I know me and Mark were talking about what we expect the Rotten Tomato score to be. And I was like, no, it'll probably be 50, 60. I expect it to be somewhere like Man of Steel was, better received than BBS, but still kind of mixed. But then the reviews came out and ended up being, I think, a little worse than BVS at the end of the day. So it was disappointing. Again, in the same year going into another DC movie. Uh, that, going into another DC movie that, again, was critically panned. It just, you know, it does take a little bit away from the excitement. Because, you know, we want all these movies to be enjoyed as by many people as, as possible. And unfortunately, the DC movies haven't gotten to that point yet. But I still went into it excited because I liked everything that I've seen from it. 
And once the movie was over, my initial reaction was that I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was definitely wasn't deserving of the bad critical response it got. I thought it was would have been more accurate if it was my original prediction of like fifty to sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but nowhere near the like twenty whatever percent, like twenty four, twenty five, something like that. I think people just really just trashed on it unfairly because there are some definitely legitimate complaints and problems I have with it, but nowhere as near as bad as like the worst thing ever. I mean, you're seeing blog posts posting about worst or most disappointing movie of all time. And it's like, really? I mean, yeah, as comic fans are excited for Suicide Squad, but I don't think there's too many people out there that had the high expectations for Suicide Squad to be, you know, the pinnacle of comic book movies to be the greatest thing ever and to set up a disappointment like that to be, you know, the biggest disappointment of all time. It's just, that's just ridiculous. And it didn't deserve it. Def- the movie definitely doesn't deserve that type of criticism, but, um, okay. Moving past that, got all that bad <laughs> review <laughs> stuff out of the way to, into the movie itself. And I guess, to you know, I want to focus more on the positive side of things of the movie, but so I'll get my biggest criticism of it out of the way. And that's just the main plot, the bad guy and the mission they go on. And well, I should say too, before we get further on spoilers <laughs> for those who haven't seen it yet, I'm going to go into all the details of the plot points, the characters and their outcomes, several scenes, stuff like that. So spoiler warning is out there. So, Entrantress was the main bad guy, and the whole point of it was she's her she reads gets her brothers like trapped in these like canisters and like their souls, and then they inhabit it a person to you know take control of their bodies. So it was her and her brother are out making this portal to destroy the earth, you know, and they have they're able to take create uh, these monsters out of normal human beings and like military soldiers, and that's who the Suicide Squad end up fighting and all the stuff you see in the trailers, but. Um, that was the biggest problem of the movie for me, where the whole supernatural elements and the world-ending threat, it just didn't fit to what I was looking for in the Suicide Squad story. And just knowing from some other ones we've gotten in the past, whether it's in animated movies, in the Justice League episode, or even in the New 52 comics, I just think the story of a Suicide Squad mission is better served when it's more you know, either government-based, where they're taking out you know, what, even if it's just like Amanda Waller wanting them to get something that's located in like a government agency or that's under lockdown from a criminal organization, just something that's more grounded, I think works better for the Suicide Squad team to go after. And it's easy to kind of predict or create your own story after you've seen it once it's just because you're disappointed to what the actual plot was in this movie. So I kind of don't like doing that, but I did anyway, <laughs> sorry to say, after I saw the movie. Because I just think there's better ways you could have gone about of having the mission for the Suicide Squad in their first movie be. I was kind of thinking to tie it in more with the DC movie universe. Like, what if there was something that either... Because at first I thought, what if Lex somehow escapes custody or he was able to break free uh, from custody and Amanda Waller knows he has information and stuff from the kryptonian ship that's valuable to her and she wants but you know she can't officially go out and arrest them or get it from him so she uses the suicide squad to get that whatever she needs but if some kryptonian technology or information lex has that's what she sends the suicide squad to get because she'll wash her hands clean if they fail and you know and if 
she does get it, that's good for her. So it's kind of like a no-lose situation. So I just think if it's something like that, where it's more, you know, tied in with the movie universe or it, it's more grounded. I just, this works better for the Suicide Squad and their story. And just uh, th- the whole Enchantress thing and the supernatural element just didn't work for me. It just felt out of place with the movie. But that was my biggest criticism of it. I know a lot of people are complaining about Enchantress in general, how she's one of the worst <laughs> movie villains ever. And yeah, she's not great, but that to me wasn't. The biggest problem it was just the whole element of of her and her brother incubus and their plan just did not fit with the tone of the rest of the movie when you got these criminals out there working for amanda waller trying to complete their mission that just to me didn't fit it was a mismatch of like what they were trying to do so that was probably my biggest complaint but overall like i said i really like it because the characters are great the main character is harley deadshot Amanda Waller, Joker, even though he wasn't in it as much as I was hoping for, they all nailed it. And the supporting characters, too, like El Diablo, Captain Boomerang was funny. Uh, Katana was cool for the little bit she was into it. Rick Flagg was actually a cool character. But So that's what made the movie really work for me and that made me enjoy it. And I got to say, the, the first hour of it was awesome. I was all into it. And I was kind of worried about the beginning because some of the reviews I said, there was pacing issues and the editing was kind of weird because of some flashbacks and telling the history of the characters. And I thought, oh no, is this going to be another Batman v Superman scenario with the editing and pacing? Because that was one of my biggest issues of that. And when I saw the movie, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was edited and put together a lot better than BVS was in the beginning. And those flashbacks were probably my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, seeing Harley, a little bit of her origin, it was more in the vein of the New 52, but... What we did got, it was awesome. I just seen the first flashback we got of her as Dark and Harley Quinzel talking with Joker in Arkham while in that image where he's in the straitjacket. It was just really cool. And the thing that blew me away, which I was hoping we'd get an Easter egg of, but I wasn't expecting it to be on this level, where we saw Harley in her classic Batman the Animated Series Harley Quinn costume. And it was an homage to that Alex Ross painting where Joker is in the tuxedo and they're dancing. They did that in the movie, and it was just awesome. <laughs> it was a real geek out moment. That was cool. Deadshot had a really cool flashback sequence, just of him, you know, completing a job. You just showing how Deadshot operates, and Will Smith did an awesome job as Deadshot, which I had a feeling he would after seeing those trailers. And I think he really nailed it. But probably the coolest part of the movie was. Batman's appearances in this (laughs) I mean we knew he was going to be in that shot or that sequence with Joker and Harley in the car chase which was cool because that I mean we got to see it was short but we got to see Batman do stuff we haven't seen him really do in live action stop Joker and Harley on a car chase and you're hearing Harley call Joker put in and just just acting like you would expect Joker and Harley to do when they're being chased by Batman. She grabs the gun and starts shooting the roof of the car. And Joker drives it off into the lake. You see Batman just use his grappling gun, get off the car, but just immediately dive in after it with you know his water mask on there and his breather and just dive headfirst into the the crash wreckage in the in the lake there and try to get Harley out, which he does. I mean, first she puts up a little bit of a struggle. She tries to hit Batman, but he knocks her out and takes her 
uh, out of the water. But it was just cool little sequence that, you know, it's stuff you see in the animated series and in Batman comics all the time, and it worked good in live action, too. It was pretty awesome to see. But then the one I didn't expect was Batman's confrontation with Deadshot because to get him captured that Amanda Waller wanted him in custody so she could use him. So to get him captured, she kind of leaked some information of where he'd be to Batman because she knew uh, he'd take him in. And it was a, at a moment where Deadshot was just out shopping with his daughter. And they really established the Deadshot-daughter relationship uh, pretty well in this movie too. But it was a great moment where you just see them walking and then in the background you just see Batman in his cape just slowly coming down right behind him and it kind of freaks Deadshot out. And I love Batman's line here. He's all, you know, come on, Deadshot. I don't want to do this in front of your daughter. But Deadshot's not having it. He draws his gun. They have a little skirmish, and Deadshot pulls the gun on Batman, but his daughter gets in there, you know, crying, telling his, her dad not to do this. And that's what makes him, you know, surrender himself and gets taken into custody because, you know, he doesn't want his daughter to see him kill a man, which would, which would be Batman sitting right there. So it was a really cool Batman stuff. I was expecting Batman not to be in it that much, but he was actually in it more than I thought he was. And it was really cool. And finally, getting the stuff that uh, Marvel fans have been enjoying with their cinematic universe, have seen certain characters pop up in different movies. It's cool to finally have that with DC and Batman. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but it still felt like a Batman, you know, of course, what we saw in BVS, but how great and excited we were at the possibility to see him in smaller portions in other DC movies, and it worked really well in Suicide Squad. So I love that. And getting to the Joker, Jared Leto did a good job as the Joker, but again, biggest flaw is we didn't see enough of him in it. And you could just really tell there was so much more of Joker that they cut from the story. And especially at the end, because Dan, you remember the shots in the trailer where his face is kind of burned up, and yeah. he has that grenade, and he's, he almost looks like how Joker looked in Endgame. But all that stuff was gone, gone in the movie. It was nowhere to be found. So that was disappointing. And the way he was used, I know what they were going for, and I think it would have worked. They just needed to have more of a better finality and conclusion to the story they were trying to tell with Joker and Harley. Because Joker finds out a Waller is using her as part of the Suicide Squad, and you know he want, he's not happy about it. They established a relationship with Joker and Harley Good. And Jared Leto and Margot Robbie had great chemistry from the small bit of screen time they had. It just made you really want more and just get the whole movie of just the origin of Harley because, like, like I said, the little flashback sequences we got were really good. So Joker is going to, you know, interfere with the plans of Amanda Waller and the Suicide Squad and throw a wrench into their operation, which I thought would have been cool and I was expecting that to happen. But it only happened for one instance in the movie because once the Suicide Squad have completed their mission, and one of the twists in the actual movie was their objective was to you know, rescue Amanda Waller from the threat of Enchantress and her uh, monsters that are running around the city, which they didn't know. So once they figured that out, they rescued her, and they're about to make the extraction. We get the reveal that the helicopter has been hijacked by the Joker, and he just starts lacing them with machine gun fire. It's that shot we see in the trailer of him laughing in the tux with the machine gun. I mean, that was awesome. That's something you'd expect to see from the Joker. He's, you know, all he wants to do is get Harley back. He doesn't care the importance of the mission that Amanda Waller has him on. So he does and succeeds in getting Harley back with him. But 
the helicopter gets shot down, Harley's able to, I mean, she falls out and is able to uh, survive the crash because she wasn't in it. But like we see many times, Joker goes down in the crash and you expect, assume that he's dead, but you know that he's not. And that was, that was it for the Joker. He doesn't pop up until the very, very end, the last shot of the movie where Harley's back in uh, prison and he busts her out of there. The very last shot of Joker in like a SWAT gear uh, infiltrating the prison and busting her out. I mean, it is a typical Harley Joker way of doing things where, you know, as it looks like Harley's moving on from the Joker, but once he comes back, she falls right back into his arms. So that was kind of cool. It is a typical Harley Joker scenario, but I just really felt he needed to come back in that final sequence because it just felt the Joker is such a big character to have him reduced to such of a supporting role, not factor into the finale. I thought hurt it a little bit and knowing that there was stuff there. It just, uh, it just makes me think that what the movie could have been from what it was, which I hate to think of, but when you know it's there, it's hard not to, because like I said, we've seen those shots in the trailer. And I think that's kind of what I was looking for in a suicide squad movie when this first got announced and we knew Joker was going to be in it. I knew he wasn't going to be part of the team, but he was going to be involved with the story and kind of be, his own threat to the team, which he was at one point, but not for the rest of the movie and not as big as it should have been. So that was disappointing, but Jared Leto, I thought, did a good job as the Joker, and I'm super excited to see him and Margot Robbie as Harley because she nailed the character, too. It it was just so great to finally see Harley Quinn in live action. Uh, She nailed her personality. Her quips were funny. Uh, She looked just like the character. All of it. She just is perfect, so... I think they knowing that Warner Brothers and those in charge of the DC movies know they got something great with Margot Robbie as Harley. And with Jared Leto as Joker, I mean, definitely can't say he's one of the best Jokers yet because we've seen so little. And it was more of the mobster or gangster style Joker, which I thought was a pretty cool new aspect to see of him, which we haven't seen too much in live action. I mean, he kind of was in the Dark Knight. He took over the whole mob ring there. But this one, he was more, you could tell... All the other like mobsters or gangsters, they were scared of him. <laughs> when you mention his name or he walks in, you just know there was a presence about him that you had to be feared. And it would have been cool to see a movie to see Joker, you know, take over that uh, gangster arena in Gotham and just show him work his way to the top. That'd be cool. But so yeah, all that stuff was great. And like I said, the biggest disappointment is just the overall plot and the villain of the movie. It was just really weak. And the final climactic scene was. That was a little, there were some corny aspects to it with, with the dialogue that they were going for with them taking on Enchantress. And it, it wasn't as good as I was hoping. That's why it just didn't fit. There should have been a better climactic battle or sequence with the Suicide Squad and some other threat. Whether, again, like if it was Joker taking over as becoming their main threat that they have to take care of or some other government agency that they're fighting with. Like I said, if it was Lex or just something else that wasn't supernatural i think it could have been anything other than that the one thing i will say that is a positive about enchantress and her powers right before the final sequence she was you know trying to get them not to stop her from taking over the world because she she gives them these visions of what they really want in life and one of those visions was harley having a happy married life with the joker so you see her and Jared Leto without his Joker makeup just as a happy family, which was kind of weird and surreal to see, but at the same time kind of cool. So that was probably the best use of Enchantress in the whole movie. 
So, yeah, that's my thoughts on Suicide Squad. I really liked it. The character interactions were great. But again, it's a movie where it's not as great as it should have been. And I think the main plot with Enchantress and her scheme and that being the main uh, cause for Amanda Waller using the Suicide Squad just didn't fit. And that knocked it down a bit for me. So if I had to score it, I'd probably give it like uh, three and a half out of five. Really enjoyed it, but not as good as it could have been. So, Dane, I know after BBS, you were saying how you were going to wait on Suicide Squad. And I think you'll like parts of it, the stuff that I like, I think you're really going to get a kick out of. But I I saw it. Oh, you did see it? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was under the. So I think you were keeping this a surprise for me because. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I was going to say what you thought about Suicide Squad and that I did see it, but I decided to surprise you here. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Let's Um, lay it on me. I did not like it. I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. I actually agree with the critics in the sense that um, I think a lot of the, the critics agree that, um, and, and this isn't some, you know, planned thing, I don't think. But Oh, yeah. That's, so those he, think there's some conspiracy out there. I don't believe yeah. that. Uh, I feel it has the right pieces, right? Mm. It has the right pieces to, to be a great movie. Um, it has the right ideas, but together, if you combine them all together, it doesn't work because you pieced all of this together and like, like you said, Tim, the story just doesn't work for the Suicide Squad. If you know what the Suicide Squad is, it just doesn't work, right? Um, I just felt that... I just felt conflicted because it had a lot of good things like like Deadshot. I thought Deadshot I thought Will Smith was one of the highlights of this, yeah. this movie. Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Um I felt that it was the Will Smith Margot Robbie movie, right? The Harley Quinn Deadshot movie because I, I and I'm not saying this is a double-edged sword because I say that because they're so good, but I also say that because you don't really get a sense of who the other characters are. You know, uh, Diablo, Croc. Um, Enchan- yeah, I forgot to mention Croc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Enchantress a little bit. But there were certain times throughout the movie that I, I totally forgot about people like um, Katana. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, right, Katana's in this movie. I totally forgot about her. Um, and, and, and I mean, Slipknot is barely in this movie. Well, I mean, he served his only purpose that we knew he yeah, was there for. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, he served his purpose, I guess. And... As for the Joker, I know I know a lot. Th- this is the main sticking point, and I think this movie proves that if you have the Joker in a movie, he has to be the main villain. There's no way he can be this small little villain on the side. Uh, he, he can't be the side story. He has to be the main story, main villain, right? And I can't help but feel that it, it, if if they did something more in the lines of how. Um, Lord of the Rings did it in Fellowship of the Ring with uh, Smeagol. Okay. Where, where you know, they're in the cave and you just kind of see him yeah. a little bit. And then he, he kind of ducks away and you, you, don't, you don't see him again until the next movie, right? But Gandalf talks about him and introduces him. Uh-huh. And you, you, get, you, you get the sense of who he is, even if you've never read the books. I, I can't help but feel it would have been better if they did something more like that, like, not make Joker the the star of these trailers, 
you know? Yeah. And then you go into the movie and it feels gutted, you know? Yeah. I mean, e- even before we knew the fact that a lot of Jared Leto scenes had been cut, it felt that way after you've seen the movie. And I can't help but feel that if they just hinted at the Joker, they, they just had him as sort of a whisper on the side. Still part of uh, Harley's story, I, I just felt feel that that would have been the better choice. So would you think probably it would have been just better if they saved him or used him for the flashback sequence telling about Harley's origin and it's not even have him play a factor in the current story they're telling with the Suicide Squad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all those other scenes, you don't need them in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it would have just been better if it was just like a a voice in the shadows or something. Yeah, because I know what you said, because it, it was cool, though, when he came and threw a wrench in their plans when he took Harley and started shooting at him. But then after that, there was no payoff. It was just, okay, yeah. he's gone. And I couldn't help but ask myself, did, does he really need to be doing this? I mean, I know he's a, an essential part of Harley's story, but can't she be a great character on her own? Like, like, like can't we mention him? And just have it as that and then focus more on Harley, not Joker Harley, you know? Yeah, that's a fair point. And this might be one of those instances where where there's a problem with just be, this being the first movie in this new universe with Harley and Joker where they're rushing certain things where you got to have a bit of their origins and Joker and Harley in this movie together because it is the first time yeah. where if this was a Suicide Squad movie, but we got... Uh, a Batman movie before with a Joker and Harley in it, they could have established that and that and have just this one focus on Harley. So, yeah. And I think that, I mean, overall, I think this movie suffers the same problems as Batman versus Superman because in Batman versus Superman, it should have been Batman versus Superman. It shouldn't have, shouldn't have had, all these moving other moving parts with the senator and um, Lex and Lois and all this other stuff. It should have just been Batman versus Superman. You should have built the story around that instead of, you know, uh, building the Batman versus Superman around that story. And I think that this this movie suffers the same thing because it should have been about the Suicide Squad specifically. You know, introduce them. Give us a reason to care more than, you know, a 30-second flashback for some of these guys, you know? Um, I mean, besides Deadshot and uh, Harley. Um, introduce well, I will us. say, it was short. I love seeing Flash take out Captain Boomerang. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I got to say, I really like Deadshot's flashback with his daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, he chose not to, you know, show who he really is to his daughter. You know, um, but uh, the, the stuff with his daughter was great. Even at the end, we know where he's visiting her, telling her about the yeah. geometry of shooting a bullet. But I yeah. thought like the one bad use of it was at the end where he's taking that final shot to take out Enchantress. Oh, and they put her in there. Yeah, it was like yeah. it was real corny. And then I assumed it was Enchantress doing this one last vision two dead shot to try to stop him but i don't it didn't come across that it was clearly done that way and i sure hope it was cuz it would have been a it would have made no sense if dead shot was thinking that when he's taking out something evil like to destroy the world so i really hope it was enchantress that was doing that but 
I only seen the movie once, so maybe I missed something that made it clear that it was another vision from her. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't, that's a lame reason to put it in there because it has nothing to do with him, you know, shooting Batman and taking a life where he's he's stopping something that's evil. So yeah. maybe once I see it again, it'll play better. But that kind of st- stuck out as like a corny moment that although it should have been better if it wasn't. <laughs> but, but yeah, like I said. This movie has the same problems as Batman vs. Superman. It should have been Suicide Squad. should have been about them. should have gave us a reason um, to care about these characters. Um, more than, like I said, just a 30-second flashback for Katana, you know? We should have been there. Flashback, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we should have been there, you know? We, we should have seen that, you know? You have to give us a reason to care for these people because they are villains and they're not Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman yeah. and Green Lantern and Flash and whoever else, right? These are villains and we know that and you you sort of put it out there before the movie's even out, you know, that these guys are villains. So I think just like if if you're the general audience, you're not a comic book fan, you need a reason to care more than just – a, flash, a quick flashback, you know? Yeah. It should have been about them. It shouldn't have been about them uh, taking on Enchantress and this whole side thing with the Joker and the complicated stuff with Amanda Waller. Um, it should have been about them going out on a mission, you know, and things happen. They're not the, they're not the greatest team in the world, right? If you've ever read a Suicide Squad yeah. uh, issue. So it, it should have been more about that. It shouldn't have been this grand overarching story connected to all of this DC Universe stuff. It should have been more in the veins of Deadpool where it, it was kind of its own thing. It had these, these small little references to the Mar- overall Marvel Universe, but it, it was just enough to know that, okay, Deadpool is part of the Marvel Universe. It should have been more like that. It shouldn't have been so forced and connected to the – to the whole DCU, uh, DC movie universe, you know? Um, and I think that that's also the problem with Batman versus Superman and this movie, because I think we forgot that. I mean, we've been distracted that what we see on the, the, the movie screen is exactly from the comics. Like, Oh, Ben Affleck looks like Batman from the comics. Uh, Superman looks like Bat- uh, Superman from the comics, you know? And th- this Batman versus Superman fight is directly from the comics. It's right from the comics. It looks like the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And what we forget about is th- that it may look like it, but they they forgot about the story. There has to be a good story behind it, you know? And I think we forgot about forget about that because we see things we recognize from the comics and they're nailing that part. Everything looks good in these movies, but it's just the story. They, they, they just don't have good stories, you know? And I think that's the problem with both these movies. And sure, this one is more lighthearted and, you know, I mean, not lighthearted, more funny. It's a lot more funny. Um, it still has that dark tone to it, but it's funnier. Yeah. Um, but I just can't help but feel that this is a miss for me. I mean, you're you're dead on with the story on Suicide Squad. That is its biggest detriment, like I said before. But the thing that saves it for me is the characters and the good performances from the characters. And yeah, it's not an ensemble that is fully fleshed out as you would like it to be. 
Because like you said, the main ones are Deadshot and Harley. Yeah, yeah but is there enough there for for even Deadshot and Harley? For me, there was. I, oh, okay. I know what you mean. There could have yeah. been more, but to me, I got enough from those characters to make me invested in it. But Yeah, I mean, it's it's the other... It, it, it's not Deadshot or Harley. It's... Uh, Rick, even Rick Flag, I'd say. Uh, there's Boomerang, uh, Diablo, like I said, um, Killer Croc. Diablo I actually mean, had more of an arc than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, end. yeah, he ends up being the hero in the end, yeah. almost. Um, but it's funny because you, nobody mentions Diablo, Boomerang, Croc, um, Katana. You know, people are talking about Deadshot and Harley, which, I mean, uh, Will Smith and Margot Robbie did a good job, but th- if this is going to be a true ensemble piece, it has to include Boomerang, Diablo, Croc, Katana, who di- didn't really have anything to do in this movie. Yeah, that's a fair uh, criticism. I, not, I will say though, but, <laughs> it was pretty, I will say it was pretty cool to see Croc just swimming in the sewers, and yeah. be looking like Croc. That was pretty awesome. I did wish we would have got. I like to your point, get a flashback sequence with Batman and Croc too. How cool would have that have been? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. It, and, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I mean, criticisms aside, I have to say that um, my favorite part of this movie is definitely Margot Robbie. She nailed uh, Harley Quinn. She yeah. she plays a perfect Harley Quinn to me. Yep. Um, and I mean, come on, that that scene in the elevator, Tim. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Pretty good. <laughs> and just hearing her say "Mr. J" and put in like hearing that in the live action movie, that, that was a geek out moment for me. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. And I saw someone tweet this, but uh, it's my fault for not seeing it in the credits. But I think I saw someone said that Bruce Tim and Paul Dini did get a credit on there for creating her. So that's awesome. I was hoping they would. So next time I see it, like probably yeah, when it goes off. I, I missed the Bill Finger thing, um, and I, I guess I missed the Paul Dini thing. Yeah, I know. I, I knew that going into it too, but I forgot. Probably because yeah. I will say too, I loved the after credit scene with Bruce and Amanda Waller. It was, you know, Bruce and or Batman and Amanda Waller had some great interactions in like justice league unlimited and in the comics and to see a little bit of that in the movie while not quite as tense and they're at each other's throats it was still yeah. a cool moment i like that yeah but overall i i think i have a little more negative uh outlook on this movie uh i didn't like it um like i said before it should have been more like a deadpool kind of movie because the these characters are so out there they're so they're so in the periphery of the big three mm-hmm. um, that it should have been its own thing. It shouldn't have been so force forcefully, co- you know, connected to the DC universe as it was. Um, so I'm probably going to give this a one and a half out of five. Wow. <laughs> um, it, probably for uh, Margot Robbie and Will Smith, who to me. Kind of were were the 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 bright spots of this movie. So, what would you say you like better, BVS or this? Um, hmm. probably this one. You know, because this one had more uh, action scenes. I'd say. Did it? Well, maybe maybe it was probably spread out better. I, or, I think or quality. this one. Sorry, quality. I should say. 
I will say this one, I think it was a better put together movie than Batman v Superman as far as, yeah. you know, the editing and pacing. This one, I thought it flowed a lot better than BVS. But at the same time, Batman v Superman had some pretty awesome moments when it got to the end with the fight and the end sequences yeah. with Wonder Woman. So, but I think as a whole, as a better put together movie, I'd probably say Suicide Squad was better. And yeah, yeah, and you're right. Um, well, I mean, like I said, the I I think the fight scenes were better. I, I mean, I liked them better. Um, and like you said, the the pacing, even though the story wasn't the greatest, it um, there there wasn't really any scene I can really think of that was totally went over my head and I was like, okay, let's just get through this and maybe something will happen in the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I really had that feeling. Yeah. I will. I will say like the first hour of suicide squad, I was fully into, I was loving it. I mean, up until probably once they get on that helicopter and they go into uh, their mission and uh, that's where and things got more with enchantress and her plan to take over the world and all that stuff that didn't, Fit. <laughs> that's where it started making me think ah, this isn't as good as it could have been and then how Joker was just abruptly taken out of the movie yeah. it's just a bummer to hear like the day it came out or the day after it came out we were hearing reports about the different edits that Warner Brothers wanted to make with this movie where they hired the company that edited together the trailer to make their own cut of the movie while David Ayer was doing his Jeez. and it was like okay we'll see which one's better and then in the end it was kind of like a combination of the two as the final product and then David Ayer was, came out like in an interview earlier this week saying there was a like more than two edits of the movie and yeah so it's just a thing that I got to that point where the studio felt they had to get involved and try to have these different versions of the movies. So, and who knows which one was actually the best. Cause I have a feeling there is a better version out there than what was put in the theaters. And it's just the same that it came to that. Yeah. And another thing too, I noticed is, um, you know, in all the trailers, they, they made it fun. They made it loud. Mm-hmm. Um, they played, um, uh, Queens Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Um, I felt that, uh, when I was watching the movie that, I mean, this is a little nitpick, and I doubt people really picked up on it. And I don't, I don't think you have a problem with it, Tim. But the songs just didn't work in the in the movie. The songs that they played, you, you know, know, it it wasn't a big deal to me. And I've heard other people criticize the soundtrack, yeah. but it didn't take me out of the movie at all. I mean, I don't like all the songs these there, but that's <laughs> neither here or there. It didn't take away from the experience. I just went yeah. with it, so it didn't really hurt it at all for me. Yeah, but um. I guess overall, I'm glad that y- you are more on the side of you liked it, and b- because I didn't really like it, and it's good to get both sides on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it just sucks that I know there's the two big DC movies in this year you really didn't like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess overall, if if you if you haven't seen it yet, I tell you to see it for. Um, for Deadshot and Harley. That's, yeah, if you're a DC fan, it's worth it for those two yeah. characters, I say. And even those small Batman cameos, those, I'm sorry, those are just awesome. <laughs> yeah, and he, even Jared Leto as the Joker. Even though it's you know a cut-down sort of uh, role, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd even say we kind of got a sense of how uh, Jared Leto's going to be playing him in the future. Yeah, it got me excited to hopefully where he'll be in the solo Batman movie. I mean, I can't wait to yeah. see him in Affleck's Batman face off. <laughs> I think it should be great. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess that's it for our future topic, Tim. Yep, that's our Suicide Squad review. <laughs> so All right. the two big DC movies of the year, they're, they've come and gone now, which is kind of hard to believe. So <laughs> it, it, despite, you know, me be, at first being really disappointed with Batman v Superman, and then, you know, the more I see it, the more I, I enjoy that movie now, despite the flaws I still have and issues. I still get enjoyment and just geek out of a lot of stuff in that movie. And now with Suicide Squad... A great take on some characters I already love, despite a disappointing story and villain. It's still been a fun experience going through this ride and getting this DC movie universe off the ground. And yeah, it's off to a shaky start with a lot of people, and at least critically, and general audiences. I mean, it's, I think it's having a pretty big drop-off this weekend from its opening weekend, which is disappointing. But yet it had a very strong like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, record as far as box office. So, I don't know. I think in the end it's still going to be considered a financial success for Warner Brothers, but they really just got to... Wonder Woman, I'm sad to say, it really has to be the DC movie that clicks every, with most people, with critics and audiences, just to get one positive, generally consensed movie for the DC universe off the ground. I think and the potential's there. The stuff we've seen from Wonder Woman looks like it could be the case, but again, we just have to wait and see. And It's just bummer yeah. that it is come to that point now where the shoulders of the DC extended universe rests on Wonder Woman now as far as, you know, really having this movie universe taken off and be well received by a good majority of people and critics. I'm so hoping that Wonder Woman's going to be good. And to me, it almost seems like poetic in a way that she would be the character to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be Wonder Woman to, you know, bring together the DC universe in a more positive light. She is the yeah, and to do that. It, don't forget. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm still excited for Wonder Woman. I I just hope that it's in the right hands and it's being taken care of. You know. Yeah. We'll find out next year. Oh man, next year. Well, thankfully we got a little movie called Rogue One to <laughs> hold it <laughs> until then. Um, but that's not the only thing we we have to talk about, Tim. We also got another big thing. Um. Uh, Telltale Games, Batman game. The first episode finally came out. And I'm so interested to hear what you think about it, Tim. Man, I loved it. This yeah. is one of my favorite Batman experiences of the year. And I'm going to say ever because, man, it really puts you in the shoes of being Bruce Wayne and Batman. And I absolutely loved it. I mean, it sucked me right in. This. You know, I know these games aren't for everybody. Those who like the more action-oriented uh, games, like the Arkham ones for Batman, and you got to know what you're getting into with this. Because I can see those being disappointed of how cool it looks visually, because the graphics are awesome and the art style on it's really cool. But if you go into expecting an Arkham-style game and you find out it's not, you can't be disappointed. So definitely know what you're going into here. A great narrative of, of a great narrative Batman story that you make all the decisions. And man, I was eating it all up. I just love the fact that I'm being put in Batman and Bruce Wayne's shoes, <laughs> making decisions that are going to affect, you know, the public views, both Batman and Bruce Wayne. It was so, so good. I, I loved it. I mean, it really makes the oh, wait, Tim, games. Have, Tim, oh, sorry, you, before you get into anything, right? Okay. I have to ask you, what color did you pick for your bad computer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. Oh, of course it had to be blue. You picked blue, Tim. Yep. I picked the red one. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was tempted, you know, 
see what color like a lot of the Batcave interior stuff if it was from the animated series. And yeah. I I can't say definitively if it was blue, but blue is my favorite color. I got to go everything blue, so I yeah. just stuck with that. Yeah, okay. But yeah, that was that was cool that it gave you that option, though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't want to go into full spoilers on the decision-making aspect and story elements of it for those who haven't played hey, it you yet. You know what? Let's, let's go into full spoilers. You sure? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, spoiler warning out there if you haven't played the first episode. Definitely deserves it, I'd say. Yeah, so this big stuff starts where it starts off with the action sequence with Batman and Catwoman, which was cool. And I I enjoy the quick time event stuff. I know a lot of people or some gamers out there might think it's an easy, lazy thing to do, but I I like it. Sure, I like the Arkham stuff better, but it works for this game and you still got to get your timing right. So <laughs> I liked it. That's but, the one thing that kind of scared me is like, how are they going to do the quick time events with Batman fighting a villain, mm-hmm. you know, Catwoman or, or one of Falcone's thugs, you know, but, but it, it, I mean, it, it really works. I have to say it really works and it makes you feel good when you get that right timing down. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it really pays off. Yeah, I liked it. But the big draw of this game for me, what I loved about it, is the decision-making process. When you're in a conversation and you you got to decide what Batman you want to be. And I think that's just awesome. And a part of me was thinking, like, when questions would pop up and your response matters, like, what would Batman in the animated series say? That's what I tried to face my answers <laughs> off. <on. laughs> what would Kevin Conroy do? Exactly. <laughs> So that that's was funny. I, I actually wrote down the questions and what I did because it lists all the questions at the end yeah. and it gives you the percentage of which players um, agreed with you and which per- players didn't or yeah, that's the other option. But uh, I guess we can go over them after, after okay. we're done. Yeah, yeah but, I didn't but, write but, I mean, mine first, down, but I think yeah. I'll, once you say yours, I'll, I'll know if I did the same thing you did or not. Yeah, but the, the the first thing I want to mention is, did you shake Falcone's hand? That's the big one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I did. You did? I did. For, for Harvey. You, yes, you shook his hand it, for Harvey. At that moment, I mean, it was being established, if, you know, how Bruce is doing this for Harvey. He believes in him, you know, to be the yeah. new mayor of Gotham, and Harvey's counting on him to, yeah. for Bruce to do that, so... I I did it just to save face to show Harvey that I'm supporting him and uh, afterwards, yeah, I regretted it. <laughs> it was one that I regretted. Yeah. <laughs> you see, I didn't because the the whole time Bruce is like, I don't want him here. Yeah. I don't want to meet him. I don't want to talk to him. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna listen to Bruce on this one. And the part I gotta was shake. like. I got to establish that Bruce Wayne really is different from Batman. I don't want to give yeah. any hints or clues to, you know, yeah, there's yeah. something suspicious about him. So I was playing face. Yeah, but I was like, I'm not going to shake Falcone's hand, especially because there's like a brief little scene before the decision where everybody's looking at you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, I can't. Like, do it. I knew it was going to come back to Harvey. <laughs> he was like, I could deal with this later. Right now, I'll, yeah. I'll save face and do it for Harvey. <laughs> So right. like stuff like that, that's what I loved about it. It's a big yeah. decision, you know, that's going to affect you later on as both Bruce and Batman. And uh, I loved it. I just loved the consequences of that. The decisions you make are going to matter. And how certain choices that you make, it says, you know, Harvey will remember this or Vicky Vale will remember this. Yeah. So that stuff is really awesome. Yeah, and I didn't think that they would connect all the choices together at the end. Mm, yeah. 
because you you end up capturing Falcone and there's a news broadcast where it shows like all of these decisions you made, like not shaking Falcone's hand or shaking his hand and giving Vicky Vell the, the quote or not giving her a quote and and which quote you, you gave her, right? Yeah. I like I really like how they tied all of that together in the end. Yeah, it just like you said, connected together so beautifully at the end and yeah. um what was I gonna say? I was gonna bring up something like another choice. Darn it. But Or or we can do the choices right now if you want to, Tim. Okay. Well I guess go ahead and say the choices and then we'll talk about okay. that moment in there. Alright, did you stick up for dent? I actually did not. Because I did. I did. Okay. <laughs> Man, you would be having different game experience I know. so far. So the reason I didn't was because I didn't want Harvey to be in there in case, you know, something bad went yeah. down with Falcone and Bruce had to show a little bit more of, of his Batman side. And yeah. so Harvey couldn't say, like, Bruce, what are you doing? And all that stuff. Like, you're supposed to be doing this for me and blah, blah, blah. So I, yeah. and those conversations with Falcone in that room, I, I did shoot him down a lot and not pretend to like him. So that's why I didn't want Harvey in there. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I don't really know why I chose to have him in the room. Maybe it. it, it you see, with these games, you have a timer. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you, that either. You, you're sort of getting more nervous as the, the time ticks down and the, that bar gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So I was like, all right, let's just have him in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was it. And like you, I, I just was kind of a, not a nice person to Falcone. And uh, I kind of ruined that for Harvey. Yeah, so what did Harvey say? Like, what was the, the reaction afterwards? Oh, man, what did he say? I don't think he said anything. Okay. Or or, or I think he said something about being nice. Like, I thought <laughs> I told you to be nice or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second one is the quote for Vicky's story. Did you give her one? And which I one? I did give her one, yes. But and which one was uh, it? Which one? It was a good one because I know she said at the end, you know, that's a great quote. Or this is exactly what the people want to hear. Uh, I was yeah. like somewhere this is nothing but fiction and just made up something to that effect. I can't remember. Oh, okay. Well, I I I did give her a quote and I gave her the quote about uh, the Wayne family name, where Bruce is going to try to clear the Wayne family name and. I guess she she just says that for every decision okay. because she also said that's exactly what the people want to hear. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, uh, did you break the guy's arm in the warehouse? I did actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't think you would. I made that decision not to and i was like you know what me and tim are gonna agree on this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i, I wanted that information <laughs> like, was it was it gonna hurt him that bad batman's broken yeah, people's yeah. arms before to get what he wants <laughs> yeah but i thought that was a little more than what batman would do so i didn't do it um who did you give the falcone data to uh gordon yeah me too yeah, it felt it felt right to give it to Gordon. Yeah, yeah, because Vicky, 
I do, I don't really know if we could tr- if Batman or Bruce Wayne can trust her yet mm-hmm. because of what happens in the end with Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah At the same so, time, too, Bruce is trying to get he's trying to nail Falcone, so it'd be yeah. harder for the police to do their job once it just got leaked to the press and right, right. give it directly to the police. And that felt like the better way to get yeah. Falcone down. So I think it was that was a simple choice for me. All right, and the final one, uh, what what did you do with Falcone? This one, I didn't hurt him. <laughs> yeah, me too. I just I showed restraint yeah. and handed him over to the police. Yep, same here. Oh, good. Well, at least we got some. Uh, can I tell you what happened, though, originally? What happened? I hit the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the excessive force option where he just slams him, like yeah, pretty yeah. much stabs him. Like, oh no! Like, <laughs> ah. so I actually rest- like I paused it and hit restart because it saved right before that. Like, <laughs> then I did the other one. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I did not want that other outcome. <laughs> yeah, but I have to say, like overall, this was a really, really good first episode, and I, I like how the mechanics work in this game with yep. the. Um, like I said, with the fighting, um, of course, the decision making, which is really tough, especially when your time's ticking down and you're getting a little panicky because yeah. you're like, oh, no, which one should I pick? Um, uh, yeah. Th- and I have to say the um, how you discover clues and connect them all together to create a whole picture. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I like that also. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty cool in the dy- dynamic to – Batman solving a case in a crime scene. Right, right. And that that takedown in that bar where you got to see what you want to do and and they give you different options too. Like, oh, do you want to do you want to punch this guy in the face and throw him into a sort of uh uh wall or something? Yeah, or the table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Yeah, all the gameplay aspects on it were really fun and it fit it fit how a Batman game that's like this from Telltale would be. They just did a great job, I thought. I mean, I was invested in every aspect of it. And even the story, too. I mean, they're doing some different things with Batman, but so far it's working. I mean, like the friendship he had with Penguin, as him, like them growing up together as friends, and now Penguin was coming back to start trouble in Gotham again. So, the, yeah. That's a different twist on Batman and Penguin never had before, but in the story of this game, it works. And then the big thing at the end, I mean, it was a great cliffhanger where it's come out that the Waynes are pretty much the biggest mobsters or crime family in Gotham. <laughs> That's right. the the like the new... Uh, why can't I even think of the word right now? <laughs> I guess I'm just too excited about the, the prospect <laughs> of this game. But it's like the new conspiracy of... Yeah like the big conspiracy that's in Gotham news right now. I mean, Falcone saying it's true. That's what got leaked out to the press. And during that sequence of the press conference where you're Bruce Wayne, that's where I knew the shaking of Fal- Falcone's hand is going to come back to haunt me because <laughs> they're all, well, you shook hands with Falcone who's been known you know, to have some criminal organiza- organizations and that traces back to your family and they had this history. So it must be true. So I'm like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the way that Bruce confronts, Alfred at the end, and he's just kind of yelling. I'm like, "Is this true? Like, if everything I've been doing for his Batman been for nothing, 
because my parents were criminals and that's where the game ends. I was like, oh, shoot, man. <laughs> I want to know where this goes because you, you'd like to think that it's not true, but you never know. And I just can't wait to see how this gets resolved and what is the actual reasoning behind this, you know, yeah. conspiracy behind the Wayne family. I'm just fully invested into this story. Yeah, and you see in that little trailer at the end, you see um, uh, Penguin pick up that picture of Falcone and the Waynes. Yeah, that's right. And it's like, oh, they Penguin's going to have to have something to do with all of this mess. If you born Bruce, some big yeah. stuff's coming to Gotham. <laughs> yeah, and it was something like they grew up together and then uh, Penguin's mom went crazy or something. And then his dad died shortly thereafter, I think, and they lost their fortune. Mm, yeah, something yeah. Like and a little aspect here that I like too when you're in the Batcave, you know, the stuff that Bruce usually hang on hangs on to to remember the night of his parents' murder, like his mother's pearls. In some cases, even the gun that uh, killed him. I know at least in the bit one that sticks out to my mind is in Flashpoint. I know it's different, but that's what Thomas Wayne had as a memento. And but I like here in this game, he kept the movie tickets that they. Uh, had and we're going to use yeah. to go to the movies that night. So I thought that was a neat little memento for Batman to have to, you know, reminds him to why he's doing this as Batman. So little reminders here and there about, you know, the murder of his parents throughout the game that I thought were really cool. Yeah. And I guess at the end, Alfred was lying to him about, uh, the, the connection between, uh, the Waynes and, uh, Falcone. I know, they kind of made it look like Alfred's hiding something, so yeah. <laughs> that's why I really can't wait for that next episode. It's definitely not a good episode, podcast episode for Alfred, considering we have all sort of Batman stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great game. What would you give the first episode? You know what? I'm just going to go for it. I really don't have any negative things to say about it. I enjoyed every minute of this game. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. I absolutely loved it. It wow. lived up. I would say it surpassed my expectations. I was expecting it to be a cool Batman story and it'd be fun to play a different type of Batman game, but I didn't yeah. expect to get this fully invested and, you know, be pretty much becoming Batman and being in his shoes making these big decisions as both Bruce Wayne and Batman. I loved it. Yeah. And I'm probably going to give it 4.5 out of 5 because... I, like you, I thought all of the uh, Bruce Wayne stuff was good. But I, I hope in future episodes we get more Batman decisions. You know, mm. like, who who do you save? Or, you know, so, so, sort of deci- decisions like that. Yeah, that would be a, <laughs> a really tough one if there is, like, a <laughs> who do you save type scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. It's, it's definitely a great game. It's $5 on the PSN. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much it is on the Xbox uh, store. Yeah, but, it's the um, same. Oh, it's the same? Yeah. Did you play it on Xbox or did you play it on PS4? No, it's Xbox. Uh, w- was it stuttery to you sometimes? It was a little choppy in certain, yeah, certain yeah. parts. but Okay, so it wasn't only me then. Yeah, I think it's just the game engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I guess we can move on to our next piece of news, which is another positive one. Um, there's going to be a Bill Finger documentary coming to Hulu under their Limelight uh, documentary series. Um, 
it's untitled right now, but apparently it's going to be um, let's see other planned films in Who's Limelight series. Yeah, it's it's going to be about about Bill Finger, the the documentary he finally deserves, right? Totally. I mean, <laughs> I can't wait to see this. It said it's supposed to be. Uh, I don't think it gave a release date actually, but it's just like in the plans of like you said they're starting a new line of documentary series on hulu and yeah is going to be one of the first ones and bring it on and i can't wait <laughs> to see this and hopefully we get another picture of bill finger because there's only one picture i've ever seen of him and that's the one in the, the black and white um and he's wearing a baseball cap yeah yeah I know it's, the only, <laughs> it's the only picture i've ever yeah. seen of him i know hopefully there were able to get in touch with his family and you know unearth some like new photos and just more information about yeah. it and i imagine that mark uh taylor i forget his last name taylor nobleman i believe the one who tyler produced... nobleman okay that's right yeah. i apologize <laughs> <laughs> because he's played such an important part in getting bill finger's name out there and now yeah. being co-credited on everything for batman and he was speaking like one of the first to speak out about it and get the justice that bill finger deserves so i hope hopefully they'll he'll be a big part of this documentary so i can't wait to see it i mean like you said much deserved and it's about time didn't uh mark tyler nobleman find bill finger's granddaughter yeah mm-hmm. and she she apparently knew who her grandfather was but kind of just yeah and he he helped like, her you know get the ball rolling and all like the legal yeah. aspects of getting him the credit and all that stuff so I mean, like it took a lot of years for all this to come down. I'm sure a lot of legal headaches, but in the end, I mean, they they did what they were set out to do and get you know her grandfather the recognition that he more than deserves for creating the greatest character ever. Right. Do you know if Bill Finger gets a credit on Green Lantern? Mm, I don't think so because. There's created, a bunch of people. Uh, the Alan Scott version, and you know, not Hal Jordan. Yeah, and yeah. that whole mythos with the Guardians and all that. So I don't believe he does. Uh, again, another one he doesn't get credit for. <laughs> he should for Alan Scott, though. <laughs> no, I mean Green Lantern as a whole. I mean he should because it it all begins with Alan Scott, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's true. But the whole like. Like the Green Lantern Corps, the Guardians, all that stuff came way later, though. Well, you know, that's like the essence of Green Lantern now. So that might be a little more messy. I guess. But hey, I won't complain if he does. <laughs> <laughs> I know he did get credit for the Lala Lang uh, series that she had. Yeah, that's right. That's, positive. That. <laughs> that's one thing he got credit for. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely looking forward to that. There's no release date on that. Uh, Hulu just announced it, um, but there's also going to be a Dana Carvey show, uh, Limelight series. There's going to be a George Lazenby documentary. There's going to be a Big Brother magazine. I- I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now I think the only one I'll be tuning into is the Bill Finger one. Yeah. <laughs> and Shepard Ferry, whoever that is, iconic artist. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess that's it for news and we can get into our listener feedback slash, uh, conversation with Alex. Um, and Tim, which one did you want to read? You know what? 
uh, let's go ahead and, uh, as always, we'll start with Alex. Okay. So Alex says, my dearest Bat Brothers, great episode as always. Man, Dane, how many times do you rewatch a movie that you love? I would love a segment on your updated thoughts on BVS every week until you finally crack the code on what went wrong. <laughs> if you end up passing on Suicide Squad or Justice League, I don't think anyone can question your status as a massive Batman fan. I really oh, lo- thank you, Alex. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to Tim's Suicide Squad review and yours if you ended up seeing it, which you did, much to both of our surprises. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the reviews so far have dissuaded me from going to the theater. I really liked Fury and Harsh Times, and I loved End of Watch, so I was surprised to see an Air movie getting such awful reviews. Although I haven't seen all his movies, so maybe he has some stinkers. I'm not into the fan conspiracy against DC, but a lot of professional reviewers seem to just be virtue tagging themselves and pandering to vengeful keyboard warriors instead of trying to help their readers use their hard-earned money wisely and trying to help them, or trying to help the filmmakers construct better films. We can. We can't see that Harley's outfit looks like on the... I, let me read that again, because I had like an update pop-up <laughs> on my screen, right? <laughs> I, was yeah, in the I, 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 heard, I heard the clicking. Yeah. Try to get it. <laughs> the stupid uh, iTunes update. Uh-huh. It says, we can see what Harley's outfit looks like on the icon right in front of us. We don't need condescending reviews when all we want to know if we should go out to the movies or the usual skydiving on a Friday night. Heck, you guys know how passionate I get when Batman isn't held to the standards I've had for the character, but I'm just some rambling dude conversing with my fellow fans. Anyway, since I didn't see Suicide Squad, I decided to crack down and buy Batman issues 1 through 4, so now I can ramble about that. (laughs) It seems like you guys aren't on the same page as the critics when it comes to Tom King's Batman and Tim Seeley's Nightwing. That is definitely true. At least issue 3, I finally got on the same page (laughs) as most fans and critics of that. Oh, so the the critics are liking Tom King's Batman. Oh, yeah. It's getting great reviews everywhere. Oh. Hmm. Um, He says, I can't believe the hubris of both these writers suggesting to readers that there are better heroes for Gotham than Batman. (laughs) No superhero is better for Gotham than Batman. Well, maybe Space Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Space Ghost. I miss his show, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I miss a lot of um, adults. I mean, not adults. Uh wasn't that on Toonami? Uh, just no, it was on Cartoon Network, but it wasn't part of the yeah. Toonami lineup. Oh, although I Baltar, the his like his sidekick on the show. <laughs> yeah, he was the host of Toonami when it first started. Right, right. So maybe that's where you're getting them mixed up. Yeah, yeah. But he did interview Mark Hamill and Dave Grohl on Space Coast Coast to Coast. It's <laughs> <is> pretty funny. <laughs> but Alex continues saying, "I agree with you that issue three is the best. I wonder over Batman." or I bonded over Batman with my sister when I was a little tyke. And since she just got married, those old memories have been floating in my head a lot. So when I saw Gotham bonding with his sister, it hit home. I recently found out my sister is still a Batman fan and she even bought a Batman shirt. I haven't bought a Batman shirt. <laughs> Alex, you got to get on that. At least I have to have a one Batman shirt. If it's one, that's just a logo even. Yeah, I already told you guys how Batman was an inspirational character to me as a child. So seeing Gotham inspired by Batman as a child was great. Can you tell that I like this issue? Issue four was probably the weakest issue so far, but I like the scene where they aped uh, the suicidal girl scene in All Star uh, Superman. 
look, I wish a hug from a weirdo flying around in pajamas would be enough to help someone go through psychological turmoil. But this is Gotham, baby, not Metropolis. It's Happy Land with Gumdrop House and Lollipop Lane. <laughs> uh, see, I should have done that in the Homer voice, which is the slide <laughs> that Alex is uh, referring to. Goes, Ooh, I'm making people happy. I'm the man from Happy Land with Gumdrop Houses on Lollipop Lane. <laughs> If you case I couldn't tell, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, that's a classic overline. Gotham is supposed to be the worst of the worst, so things need to be ugly. I just want Batman to always be the light in the darkness. And so far, I think Mr. King is providing that. Oh, and regards to the Batman distrust of Alfred comment, I thought it was, it was a joke too, Tim. I appreciate you being sensitive about these things because I'm the same way, but I thought he was joking. Man, I guess I really am the only one who took that as being serious. Because <laughs> everyone yeah. saying how much, or they thought it was a joke. <laughs> then he says, I next, I was surprised by reaction to Justice League action. But once Plastic Man was mentioned, I understood the glee. Hopefully audiences will finally see the greatness of his royal stretchness. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great title, title for him. It's like if he was to come back in the title, uh, his own title of a comic, it should be Action Man, Royal Stretchiness. <laughs> <laughs> The the greatness of his royal stretchiness. Yeah. That it should be called. <laughs> On a final note, I don't recall the Young Justice episode Jordan mentioned, but I love that show's interpretation of Dick Grayson. I'll have to check that episode out. Also, the pick of the Dark Knight Rises version of Catwoman being the best showcase for the character is a great pick. She was easily my favorite part of the movie. It brought me back to when I used to really like her in the 90s. And now for Alex's questions. Who would be in your Suicide Squad lineup, and what is your pitch for the plot of a Suicide Squad movie sequel? Okay, uh, well, oh, uh, yeah, go for it. Okay, I would just say their lineup was pretty good, so I wouldn't change too much of it. Um, it's just, you know, like you said, Dane, not all of them got the same amount of screen time and story exploration as Harley and Deadshot did, so... I would keep the lineup the same, and they'll probably add some new ones since you know it looks like El Diablo is not going to come back. Yeah. But um, if I had to add someone else, or Slipknot for that matter. Oh yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> forgetting you was even part of the team. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Oh, I know who I put in there. He was someone who was in the New Fifty Two version of the Suicide Squad, and who was in the Assault on Arkham movie was the Black Spider. He has a cool costume, and he can easily fit in with the group that they have here. So I'd say the Black Spider. Uh, for me, I mean, the the Suicide Squad uh, lineup was, wasn't the best because they left out the most important part of the Suicide Squad. You know who that is, Tim? Plastic Man wasn't part of the Suicide Squad, was it? His royal stretchiness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, uh, Plastic Man. So I would add Plastic Man in there. Uh, I would also add, um, you know what? You know who I think would just fit perfectly, especially the way he's written right now? Um, Clayface. I think Clayface huh. would be perfect for that lineup. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah especially if he's how he is in Detective, that'd be a really easy fit. Right, right. And you were joking about Plastic Man, but I remember in those early New 52 comics, they had a character called Yo-Yo, who was a stretchy type character <laughs> who was part of the team, so they could always put him in there also. <laughs> as far as the plot, what I'd like to see, and it's something we actually seen in Justice League Unlimited, and actually when we saw the movie, my brother told me, you know, this is what 
the main threat should have been or the main plot of it. And if they say did this for a sequel, I think it'd be really cool where, you know, Amanda Waller was has her own group of metahumans that she's testing in with the Royal Flesh Gang where she had Ace, the one who was this powerful like uh, psychic who can alter reality and read your minds. I mean, it could lead into that great final confrontation that Batman has with her where he waits with her when she dies. I mean, if we get something like that where it's another mess that Amanda Waller's it's another mess from Amanda Waller that the team needs to clean up. That could be really cool, but it, it fit more with the, her character and the organization of Argus of experimenting on metahumans and not just having this ancient heart of a witch that <laughs> she's trying to control. So I think that would work good. And uh, when we were talking about, me and my brother were talking about that aspect of it, it would have actually played better in the first movie if it tied into Deadshot with his daughter, because if they're going after a threat, that's, a young girl like Ace was in the animated series, man, that definitely would have hit home with Deadshot and would have added more weight to that moment if, you know, it was something he had to take her down. But in the end, he maybe could have done something that Batman did in that animated series episode. So, I mean, that's some heavy stuff to do in a movie, but then again, they did it on a show that was intended for kids, so it could work in a movie too. So that's an aspect that I think would fit a lot better into a Suicide Squad plot in the sequel than, you know, as enchantress did and all this magical uh, supernatural elements did in the first one <laughs> um for me the plot i i said this before in our suicide squad suicide squad review um but just make it about suicide squad um just a classic thing from the comics nothing special no magic or uh psychics or anything you know just just them going out on a mission, mm-hmm. you know, j- just a regular Suicide Squad mission. Um, that's that's really all I want to see. And give us more background on the the members of the Suicide Squad, not named Deadpool or Harley. You mean Deadshot? Deadshot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Deadpool actually would fit pretty well in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> But Alex's next question is, what do you think are the best villainous moments in cinematic history? So far, the scene where Nurse uh, Ratchet drives Billy to commit suicide at the end of the one who flew over the cuckoo's uh, nest tops the list for me. And this is going to be a pretty easy one for me. I mean, I go back to the scene so many times now, you're probably sick of me saying it. But the interrogation scene between Joker and Batman is... Uh, you took mine too. <laughs> I mean, how can it not be? I'm sorry. <laughs> Joker just showed why he is Batman's greatest enemy in that one scene. And the way he tells him he, after Batman's punching him and how he he has nothing to threaten Joker with. Uh, it was yeah, it was bliss for a Batman Joker fan to witness. And again, just perfectly showed why he's Batman's greatest enemy. Yeah, and they're not really doing anything in, yeah. that, in that scene except sitting at a table. Right? I, yeah, mean, I know. <laughs> But but the tension in that scene is great, and that's what makes that scene so great. Yep, so, and, yeah, you know what? This one's technically it's more of a hero aspect, but he was a villain for a little bit right before that moment. Darth Vader killing the Emperor, saving Luke. I don't know if that counts because, uh, the, well, it's not villainous. You said villainous moments, so not villain moments. So I'll take that back. But it's a great Darth Vader moment. <laughs> yeah, to put some star wars in there didn't you <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, 
In fact, I was watching uh, uh, Return of the Jedi this morning. I don't know why. I just woke up and wanted to watch Return of the Jedi. <laughs> you never need a reason to. You just pop it in whenever you want. <laughs> yeah. Alex's third question is, have you ever rooted for a supervillain to beat the hero? If so, who? And yikes. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, was a Joker. tough one. Uh, well, for me, it was Joker in Dark Knight. Just because I like, you see, they nailed the back and forth with uh, Joker and Batman. Um, oh yeah, it was Batman winning over Joker, and then Joker winning over Batman, and on and on and on. And then, I mean, I think that was kind of the point of that movie, where no, it's an unwinnable battle. You know, I, I think Joker says something about the immovable object or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that. They they totally nailed it in that movie. So yeah, probably Dark Knight for me. For me, I'd probably it'd probably be a moment with uh, Magneto in X Men. Is he's always a villain that I tend to root for a lot to win because you you could kind of see his point, especially how he was treated and how certain people treat the mutants that he's trying to you know to beat and destroy sometimes, and you kind of pull for him in certain instances. And one of them in X Men First Class where you know he's out to kill Sebastian Shaw for murdering his mother and when he finally does uh, Professor X is trying to stop him and you know try to show him you know we're the good guys we don't do things that way but you're really actually kind of rooting for Magneto to get his revenge and kill Sebastian Shaw which he does so I go with Magneto and in for a specific instance that one in X-Men first class so maybe they actually those questions weren't so tough as Alex's normal ones. <laughs> it was a rare instance where we were able to answer them without, you know, pausing and going, uh, wow, this is tough, <laughs> but good questions nonetheless, Alex. So thank you as always for another great email. Yeah. So thank you, Alex, for your awesome emails. As always, it, it, it isn't a podcast unless Alex sends an email, right, Tim? Nope. We canceled the whole show. If Alex doesn't send an email, it's that vital. <laughs> it's that vital. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Alex. We love you, as always. Right, Tim? Yes, we do. Like you said, it just wouldn't be the same without an email from Alex. Yes. Um, but now we can move on to Jordan's email. Jordan emailed us again. Uh, but unfortunately, we we sort of lost his first email. Which, um, we don't know how that happened. <laughs> I opened our <laughs> inbox today, and it wasn't there. And we saw it last week. I know. I saw it. Um, I didn't read through it because I like to read through it. You know, during the show, during the podcast, while we do this on the fly. Uh, so sorry, Jordan. Uh, but I did send you an email. So if you received it, uh, just send your e- send your original email to us, and we'll uh, read it on our next show. So um, this email is about the Suicide Squad because he he wasn't sure if he could send his thoughts on Suicide Squad because he didn't know if we both saw it, but I, I went ahead and told him, you know, you can send it. We'll read it. Um, so he did. And he says, Hey, once again, Tim and Dane, uh, here's an addendum to the original email I sent you for next episode with my thoughts on Suicide Squad. Again, sorry, uh, Jordan, we didn't intentionally do it. Yeah. We even checked the trash inbox in <laughs> our account. And it's not there. It's like, it's yeah. the phantom email now. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says, I like the movie, but I didn't love it. Basically, all the performances were spot on. But the plot and the mission were underwhelming for me. Mar- Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn stole the show, in my opinion. 
the character of Harley deserved a stellar, stellar live-action debut. Debut. You know what? She does deserve her own movie, I'd say, at this point. Yeah, right? I definitely think she does, and I yeah. think she'll get one, too. Yeah. Um, the character of Harley deserved... Oh, I already read that. <laughs> I really like Jared Little's Joker as well, even though he wasn't in the film much. And that's fine since it wasn't his film. But he was so good that I really wanted more. Also, there were just so many single moments that had me grinning, like the Joker. Every scene Joker and Harley shared, each of Batman's cameos, Killer Croc swimming, <laughs> and Deadshot in action, were all just a complete blast. Unfortunately, I just wasn't that invested in the overall plot. The big bad was kind of a letdown. 90% of the movie taking place on one big street in Midway City was a mistake. I didn't really notice that, Tim. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. it did. Everything did look pretty similar throughout the course of the yeah. second and third act and the, as they're on their mission. A little variety would have helped, actually. Yeah. And the final battle didn't really resonate with me. Also, the film was a little too monsters and... Explosions heavy for my liking. But for some reason, they thought Joel Schumacher's neon obsession was a good idea to bring back 20 years later. <laughs> I don't think it was I that w- extreme. but <laughs> <laughs> I wish the movie had been more lo- along the lines tonally of that first San Diego Comic-Con trailer from last year. Rather than more recent trailers leading up to its release. Overall, though, the the good outweighed the bad by a fair margin, especially since the characterizations being well done was most important to me, and the movie leaves me wanting to see more of many of its characters down the line in the DCEU. I'm thinking it's a B for me. I'm excited to hear what you guys thought of it. Best, Jordan. Yep. Well, it looks like Jordan's on more on the same page as me as Suicide Squad. Lame yeah. overall plot and mission with Enchantress and all that, but characters were awesome like joker and harley so yeah. me and jordan are on the same page which is a good thing i mean the the more people like it the more people are gonna see it see these kind of movies the more we get right exactly so, yeah I, and that's, I, I i think that's more the general consensus at least what i saw anyway in yeah. reactions on last week on opening weekend there was a lot more positivity to it than i think batman v superman got but the criticisms mainly were all from you know the overall plot and mission they were on but the characters save it that's pretty much the general consensus of what i've seen anyway yeah so so hopefully i'm sort of just by myself in in my review you know? uh, well if you look on rotten tomatoes i don't think you're quite oh alone. <laughs> yeah you're right you're but i think right. as for more general audiences uh, probably more in line with what me and jordan think of it that's good um but yeah, th- thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Alex, for sending in emails. We always enjoy reading them, so keep on sending them in. And Jordan, we promise not to delete your, your email the next time. Um, so yeah, I guess we move on to comic book reviews. Uh, this episode, we got four titles, Tim. Uh, Batman number four, Detective Comics number 938, also Batman number one. And I think the highlight of this episode will be Wonder Woman number four. It just might be. We'll have to find out when we review these books. But yep. <laughs> a lot of good ones, that's for sure. Uh, so, what should be our rating scale for this episode, Tim? Yes, what should it be? 
But how about uh, uh, Jordan emails that we accidentally lose? <laughs> there you go. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, Batman number four, Tim. Batman number four, I didn't think it was as good as Batman number three, but I still like the direction, for the most part, where this story's going since issue three. Um, it's one kind of what I figured was going to happen, but not in the way I thought, where it looks like Batman would be going up against Gotham and Gotham Girl, but in the case right now, it's just Gotham, where he is looking like he's becoming more of a threat to Batman. Not necessarily a bad guy, but he's doing stuff where, where Batman has to stop him. So the issue begins where you see this Batman walking over this massacre <laughs> a crime scene where there's a bunch of dead soldier bodies and he sees Gotham Girl just crying there saying, I'm scared, I'm very scared. And then after that, we get the moment of what happened where we see Gotham trying to help this uh, guy with a phone where he's going to detonate a bomb and he's saying, Gotham is saying, you know, we can fix this, I can help you. He's saying what Batman told him when he stopped the mugger from killing his parents of how uh, everyone gets scared, but it just means we have the opportunity to overcome that fear. But the person he's trying to help, you know, he he kind of twists his word and he says, you're right, thank you, I can fix this. And that's what makes him triggers the bomb. And it kills all the soldiers and himself who were on that roof with Gotham. And after that was one of my favorite sequences after uh, in this issue, actually, where uh, Gotham Girl is in the Batcave with Alfred and Duke, and I, I really like the moment that Duke had with Gotham Girl in here, and she's scared, and Duke does a great job of comforting her. You know, he he kind of tries to make her feel better and say like he's scared too, and kind of tries to make the mood a little lighter. Where he's saying, you know, I'm very close to someone who's like is a superpowered being who could rip my head off, so you know, I'm scared too. And she appreciates that, and he was saying, you know, we could be scared together, and you could tell there were bonding over this small moment that they're hey, Tim. Tim? Oh, yeah. Uh, can I interrupt you? Uh, go I ahead. I think I just found uh, Jordan's lost email. Really? <laughs> yeah. I think I just, I Where think I deleted it? it. I think I did. Um, and it wasn't in the trash bin, though. That's weird. Uh, let me see. This is 115, right? Our episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is it then. <laughs> all right, let me read it. Let me read it before we get into this, all right? Okay, review on pause right now. Okay. Hey again, Tim and Dane. I just finished listening to episode number 114. Thanks for reading and responding to my email. Interacting on Twitter is always great, but email certainly makes it easier to have more in-depth discussions. Regarding Mask of the Phantasm, I feel the same way. If someone doesn't specify live action, I never hesitated, uh, hesitate to put it at number one on my list of favorite Batman movies, although usually tied with one of the Nolan films. And as many great stories as were told in the DC animated universe, and Batman the Animated S- Series more specifically, Mask of the Phantasm is the best book in my book too. Uh, moving on to your responses to the questions from my last email. First off, I was wondering which Batmobile from the Batman Tim was referring to. Oh, the Batman Tim was referring yeah. to. Yeah, it's actually the yeah. very first one. I, I, I think I remember him in reading that email a week ago where yeah. there was two different versions of the Batman Batmobile. And it was the first one that I really liked. Okay. Uh, in the episode RPM, Gearhead actually wrecked the first Batmobile from the show. And Batman got a new one. 
actually like both of the, the ones from that show a lot. But the one that stands out to me is the newer one. For, for my picks for Batmobiles, I'd go with three. Uh, the second one from The Batman. Two, the new Batman Adventures. One, and number one, Bat, Beware the Batman. I like Batman the Animated Series one, but it's just not sleek enough for my taste. Oh, Tim. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's not good to have a top three Batman or Batmobile list and not have that animated series <laughs> one on there, Jordan. I don't know. <laughs> but you're going to be more disappointed with our next countdown. Uh, and for bat suits, I'll go with three, Beware the Batman, two, Young Justice, and one, Son of Batman, Justice League War, etc. Those are all great costumes. Even Beware the Batman wasn't that bad, but no Batman the Animated Series love, <laughs> nothing, not even Justice League. Come on, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he goes on to say, so I did see The Killing Joke in theaters, and I loved it. Even though I was not a fan at all of Bruce and Barbara hooking up either, I thought that the added prologue as a whole improved the story. Well, that's a different take on that. I, 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 I don't see a lot of people saying that. Yeah, I know. It is kind of rare to see those who thought it helped the actual story of The Killing Joke. Yeah. I know Jordan is not the only one. I think Terrence and Rob actually uh, oh, really? They enjoyed it too and thought it added more to Barbara's character in that story. So there are oh. a few out there. Okay. Um, seeing Barbara in action as Batgirl made it even more heartbreaking when the Joker shoots her. It gave her an actual arc in the story that was glaringly absent originally. Then once we got to the actual uh, adaptation of the comic, it was very faithful, and everything I could could have wanted from uh, the killing joke in animation. Hearing Conroy and Hamill speak the classic dialogue get, gave me chills. They took what I consider the great greatest joker story of all time and actually improved it i'm really glad to hear you love batman number three too i wasn't blown away by tom king's first couple of issues uh but issues number three and number and now number four have been incredible gotham and gotham girl were such a unique concept from the start and now that we've seen their backstory i've really come to care about them as characters and that makes what happens in issue number four pretty devastating also, Tom King has a good, a damn good voice uh, for Batman, as evidenced as evidence, evidenced. Oh man, that's a hard word. Um, by that beautiful and inspiring Batman monologue during the opening scene of issue number three, which reminded me of Batman '89 as well. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions for you guys to round this one out. What are your three favorite? Animated bad computers. Hugh, <laughs> Marco, Robbie's Harley Quinn. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was prepared just to say the Batman Beyond computer. I really like that one. So <laughs> I'll answer it anyway. <laughs> um, his first question is, what three non-Bat family DC heroes are your favorite to see team up with Batman? For me, it's the Flash, Barry, or, or Wally. Two is Hal Jordan. And one is Superman. You see, I'm going to pick those three, but in different orders. Green Lantern and Batman, I love because they're so different and they kind of get on each other's nerves, but yet they have a mutual respect still, even despite those differences. And it makes for some great dialogue between them. So I go flat, or Green Lantern and Batman. Then Superman and Batman, because it's just a classic partnership that we've seen throughout the years that I just always love. 
And then just more recently, especially with Rebirth, Flash and Batman, because they have a good uh, dynamic when they work together also. And I'm hoping for more to come out of you know them investigating the whole Dr. Manhattan mystery with uh, him altering the DC universe. So definitely looking forward to more Flash and Batman in the future. So I'd agree with those being my top three also. Yeah, it's the same thing for me. Um, definitely the Flash. Um, number two, any Green Lantern. Uh, and number one, here's where I'm going to change things up a little bit, uh, Jordan. How can you not say Classic Man <laughs> I and knew Batman? That was coming. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not, Jim? Got to go watch those Brave and the Bulls episode. You know exactly why that is one of the greatest <laughs> Batman team I've ever um, his second question is, uh, what are your three favorite animated versions of any Robin? For me, it's three, Dick Grayson in the original DC animated universe. Two is Dick Grayson in Teen Titans, the original 03 series. And one is Dick Grayson in Young Justice. Well, for me, you're going to know what my number one is. <laughs> Dick Grayson yeah. from the animated series. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> And number two, I'm going to go with Young Justice. I thought that was a great interpretation of Dick and showing him as being the brains behind the group, even though he technically wasn't the leader when the series first started, but he would still show that he was capable of being their leader. And third, I'm going to go with uh, Damien in the new animated movies that they have going on, ever since they introduced him in Son of Batman. (laughs) While that wasn't the greatest movie, I thought they did a great job with Damien, and he continues to be... You know, I think they're doing a good job capturing the essence of Damien in these animated movies. So I'll go with those three. You actually took my first pick, Tim. <laughs> Damien in these new movies. Um, my second is definitely um, uh, Dick Grayson from the animated series. And my third is probably going to be Carrie Kelly from the, the uh, Dark Knight Returns animated movie. Because yeah, they did a great job. With her. Yeah, they just did a great job with her. Uh, the voice was great, and yeah, you, I mean, you can't go wrong with Carrie Kelly in that in that book or the, the animated series. So definitely those three. Um, so yeah, thank you, Jordan. Uh, sorry, we initially lost your email at first. <laughs> I'm just glad <laughs> but, you found it or found yeah, it. Where yeah. was it actually? I found it in the trash. But we we checked there. How could it? How could it not be there when we looked? I, I had to go back because uh, Jordan DM'd. He he DM'd us about his, or did I DM? No, no, no. he he DM'd us, and then I DM'd him back, and I just had to find those two direct messages on Twitter. And then I just went back from there, and I found it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good detective work there, Dane. Yeah. <laughs> and finding the phantom. Oh, I'm so glad we found it. <laughs> <laughs> I, felt, I actually felt really bad that we lost it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so now we can end the podcast you know, without any regrets. Now yeah. that we got everything in that we needed to. So thank you, Jordan, for both your emails. <laughs> uh. <laughs> now that we found them, uh, we always enjoy reading them, so... Uh, keep on sending them in, definitely. And like I said, we would promise not to not to lose your other ones. <laughs> um, so, uh, where, where were we, Tim? Yes, back to Batman number four. Back to Batman number four. So, I was talking about how there was a cool moment between Duke and Gotham Girl, you know, just showing yeah. how they're both being scared. And then Batman 
butts in ruining the nice moment they were having saying, Duke, have you finished the analysis of the crime scene? So Duke does that and Batman confronts Gotham, who's, you know, trying to repair the bridge that got blown up in the last issue. And he keeps saying, I can fix this. I can fix this. And Batman's kind of telling him, you know, you'll only make it worse. And he got them saying, you don't know what I can do. And Batman's all, you're right. I don't. And he goes, I thought I did. I thought, you know, you were the hero, like the more superpowered hero who can help Gotham, who wasn't like me. Cause I, you know, I was going to die with that plane, but you were able to save it. No problem. It's like, you could do what I couldn't do. And he was just saying, you know, because you didn't, lose what I did as far as his parents being killed where Batman actually stopped the mugger from killing uh, Gotham's parents. So they're not quite the same And that. Actually, Batman thought, you know, that could be better for, for Gotham. But in the end, it looks like he might be on because you can see that Gotham is not quite himself. And so uh, Batman kind of confronts him as far as, you know, about the dead bodies. There was 27 dead bodies that were there. And that kind of raises a question with Gotham he's like 27 and then he just goes no and he just takes off and Duke comes in telling or comes in on Batman's intercom telling him he analyzed the crime scene he's got from information and but before Gotham goes he throws like a part of the bridge into the Batmobile destroying it and it was a funny bit of dialogue where Duke's all should I send the information to the the Batmobile and Batman's all no, Mister Thomas, you should not send it to the car. <laughs> you just see the panel of it all smashed and destroyed. But Batman gets the information from Duke saying that uh, there is twenty-seven, uh, or it says the, all the numbers add up to twenty-four as far as some of the information he got, and that's actually uh, meant to be the the twenty-four twenty-fourth letter of the alphabet, which is X. And he said he cross-referenced that with Batman's military database, and it brought him to Task Force X, thus leading Batman to Amanda Waller, who was with General Lane, trying to, you know, say how they need to cover up the situation they have going on with losing their soldiers from that explosion with Gotham, and to keep Batman out of it. But I just like how General Lane is saying, you know, I have guards at this door that can, you know, keep Batman away, and then Amanda Waller just saying, Lane, Lane. Batman's right behind you. <laughs> and this, I was, it was a great Batman-Amanda Waller moment here, kind of like I was talking about earlier with the Suicide Squad movie, how we got a taste of that with Bruce and Amanda Waller. But the good stuff was really in Justice League Unlimited, where Batman confronts her on many occasions, even right when she gets out of the shower in that one episode. So I always like good Amanda Waller-Batman confrontations. And this one, you know, wasn't anything super special about it. But like I said, I just always enjoy them going back and forth with each other. And she was telling Batman, you know, uh, she was planning to use Hugo Strange and Psycho Pirate, but they betrayed her and they made Gotham and Gotham Girl go crazy, which is why now he's acting strange. And then when Batman questions her about the 27 dead uh, soldiers she had, she goes, they were 28. And Batman puts two and two together. That's why Gotham questioned him when he said 27 and he flew off. So Batman finds Gotham in his parents' home and Batman sees that. Gotham and Gotham Girl's parents are dead. Um, he says how the soldier, there was one who actually survived. He was playing dead, but uh, he saw Gotham take off his mask. And Batman was telling him, you know, you took off your mask. I know, you know how itchy and hot it can get under those masks. So you had to take it off once everything was over. But the guy saw him and he was able to see who he was, uh, use Task Force X's database and found out who his parents were. And he killed them to get revenge on what, uh, Gotham 
this uh, that whole situation with killing all those soldiers, that soldier wanted revenge on Gotham, so he killed his parents. And Batman's trying to talk him out of it, not to do it, not to become, you know, the villain and the monster that he's trying so hard to fight against, but he ends up snapping that guy's necks in revenge. So Gotham is definitely going down the dark path that I kind of figured he would. I just didn't think it was going to go down this way. And I'm kind of mixed on it. I think it is kind of good, but also certain things about it are unnecessary. And it's a little confusing too, because Amanda Waller says that, you know, psycho pirates messing with their minds and but at the beginning, Gotham didn't really do anything to set off this explosion. He was trying to help the guy. The guy he was trying to help set it off. And you can see Gotham screaming no as it happened. So it really wasn't his fault as far as being manipulated by Psycho Pirate and Hugo Strange. And I kind of think that's an element that doesn't really need to be there right now as far as him being messed up. The story easily could have worked if, you know, he tried to help a situation, but he failed. And because of that, 27 soldiers lost their lives. And that's just the guilt he could have had uh, from here on out without it being connected to Psycho Pirate or Hugo Strange. So it's one of those things where I like where they're going, but there are certain aspects of it that didn't have to be there. So the issue ends with Gotham, you know, just kind of believing in all hope of Gotham. And now instead of trying to save it, he has to destroy it because there is no saving Gotham because it's, it's unsavable. So you know Batman and him are going to have another face-off. So I still enjoy this issue. I like where it's going, besides that one complaint they had about Hugo Strange and Psycho Pirates. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five Jordan emails that we lost, but then found later on during the show. <laughs> I guess we got to add that wrinkle into the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, for, the most part, I, for the most part, I agree with you. Um, it looks like that payoff issue, issue number three, mm-hmm. is sort of paying off this one in the sense that we we understand who um, or where Gotham and Gotham Girl are coming from. Um, but I also agree with you in the sense that there's... You, you don't need Hugo Strange or Psycho Pirate for this story. I, I think that... Regardless, Gotham would have been broken if, yeah, you know, if they weren't there. I mean, if the same thing happened and uh, Hugo Strange and Psycho Part weren't there, um, I just felt that's an unnecessary plot point, and it just seems like it's just one more added thing on top of uh, what should just be a uh, a regular Batman story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I agree. So, uh, I'm still unsure how to feel about the story. I mean, I know we we got that good third issue, which we both liked, and we we both rated really highly. But I don't know. It, this one felt like kind of a misstep to me. It, I I know. I think it was. I think it was Alex who said that Tom King is really nailing Bruce's uh, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Was that was that Alex? Uh, I don't know who, who whoever said it. Um, I kind of disagree about that because th- there were some sort of lines that I didn't really agree with. If 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 I'm remembering it correctly, and I think you mentioned one of them, Tim, about the um, itching under the mask. Uh huh. I don't think Batman would ever say that. Yeah, 
I did felt that was a little weird too. Hearing yeah. him say that. Yeah, it, it's just one of those little nitpicks that I just don't think Batman would ever say that. But um, if it works for you, that's that, that's great. Um, but yeah, for me, it it doesn't really doesn't really work and you pair that up with the Hugo Strange psycho pirate thing and it kind of the, the the whole story kind of doesn't work for me so um I'm probably going to give this one a 3 out of 5 uh e- Jordan emails that we lost and then found again because I felt that issue number 3 was perfect it was good and uh, the the first two issues were kind of setting up the story, and I can kind of go along with it. But this one, it just felt like it was a little bit too much. It should have been more focused on uh, Gotham and Gotham Girl rather than Amanda Waller and uh, Lane and uh, um, Psycho Pirate and Hugh Strange. Um, so I'm still on the uh, on the fence about this uh, about this issue. So. Yeah, three three out of five for me. Fair enough. <laughs> I yeah. think we kind of had similar reactions to that, but I liked it a half point better than you did, obviously. But <laughs> I think we're all pretty much on the same. You page. liked it a half more than I did. <laughs> um, so, uh, Detective Detective Comics number nine thirty eight. I mean, we always got Detective to count on to be another yeah. solid issue. <laughs> yeah. And 938 is no exception. Uh-huh. I, mean, I think this one was a cool action I- issue as we see this new Batman team take out the Batman soldiers. And But before that, I liked how it started where it's just with uh, General Kane getting like this new assignment in the military. So a very important assignment where they're setting up this uh, new division or this new way to handle like evil threats or even worse threats that they know of but then he gets this message on uh it looks like it's an old pager so <laughs> it's a few years back and he just says i have to leave and the person he's talking to is like what can like what on earth can be more important than this and he goes my daughter they just found her so we get this uh, story where uh kate has been missing a little bit and he finds her at the grave of uh his her mom and her sister so it was just a great moment between you know father and the daughter comforting her and just saying like he's going to be there for her and I just like how it ended where he asked her like what do you want in life like tell me and I'll make sure you get it and she says she wants to be a soldier I want to fight with you and she like just tell me how to do it and I promise you that's what I'll do and he has a smile on his face and that ties in perfectly to the scenario that we have currently going on in this story where he wants her to lead this Batman army, but she's going to have no part of it uh, because of how they're doing things. And it just leads into an awesome action issue. Like I said, and then you got, because finally Batman's included with this. We've seen Batwoman with uh, the rest of the team, but Batman was kind of off doing his own thing, getting more information, but now he's there fighting with them. And we got some great panels and action sequences with all the characters in here. And even great dialogue. I like the exchange Batwoman had with Batman. And she's like one of the few characters who can actually, you know, put Batman in his place <laughs> in certain aspects. And it works too because they're cousins. Uh, and, it, you know, since they're family, I think it, Batman accepts that of someone talking to him like that. So it all works good. And like I said, a lot of cool action stuff. Art continues to be amazing. I love how Clayface looks. There's that great panel where he has those like 
shifts his arm into these pikes about to take on these soldiers and then he used to make a bridge for their escape so stuff like that is just really cool you really see clayface in action in this issue but my favorite part and probably my favorite character on this team is orphan she doesn't have a lot but of moments in so far in the story of detective comics but when she's in it she's just awesome she's just super cool there's that why moment could, why couldn't you just say clay faced him because <laughs> orphan is just a little bit cooler i'm sorry <laughs> that moment where the elevator comes down and there's all those guards and they're like eh. like they, they just sent you to fight all of us and you know she doesn't say much cassie and she just uh says yes and that's it we see her about to take him out and there's bullets flying all around her destroying the glass of the elevator and we don't uh get back to her until the end where the team's meeting up with her after they cross the Clayface Bridge and she they just see all the bodies of the Batman soldiers on the floor and beaten by her and she just says a simple word hi <laughs> without her mask so I, I just love how she's being you here or being used here it's just so cool and then Tim going up with that other hacker guy who Batman was uh, dealing with in the previous issue and Tim just knowing how much smarter and better at uh, hacking and uh, technology than he is and he he even impresses that kid uh, he thinks he's all like the best there is but he has he's nothing on tim drake and tim drake uses that to his advantage where he just uh creates this like high frequency against the, that the soldiers here in their helmets that help them escape so almost everyone had a cool moment in this issue and i just really dug it and the issue ends with uh you know they feel their operation is ruined. Uh, Batwoman and Batman are going to put an end to it and expose them. But then uh, that kid who's the computer hacker who has one more plan to you know do what they need to do to take out the threats of the League of Shadows that Batman still thinks is a myth, but General Kane thinks they're very much real. So they have a thing where it's almost like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, <laughs> their plan is they're going to have these drones, the ones that we saw in the beginning that were targeting the, all the different members of the Bat family, he's going to program them to take out a bunch of targets that they need, but there's going to be a lot of collateral damage with that, a lot of innocent lives lost with that too. But uh, General Kane says to go ahead and do it. And he thinks about it at first, and he remembers that moment in the beginning where he's talking with uh, Kate, making that promise to her. So I think that what spurns him on to go ahead and do that decision because he knows you know, what he wanted with his daughter is not possible now so he's going to do some extreme things to make sure his mission succeeds so again this issue or the series of detective comics is so awesome the characters are so great and it's having a cool story to go along with that so i'm going to give this one a four out of five jordan emails that we lost but then found later on it's, i just love the series so much yeah, I'm right there with you, Tim. Uh, Detective Comics has proven to be one of the better books in in, in the Rebirth, mm-hmm. and I have to say that this one is just as good, um, if not for the fact that James Tinian writes Kate and uh, Bad Woman so well; it's it, it's on par with Hayden Blackman and uh, Greg Rucka. It's just these little scenes where, you know, um, um, I'm li- like at the um, the uh, the gravestone, the uh, the graveyard, mm-hmm. where Kate is wondering why she is it, like something like she she hurts, she still hurts because uh, she lost her mom and her sister, 
and her dad is there for her. It, I mean, that's that's who uh, uh, the colonel is, and that's who uh, Kate is at that moment. And just the promise that he makes her that he'll give her anything she wants, and she wants to be a soldier just like him. You know, it's just these little things, and I, uh, I'm kind of gonna glance glance over everything, all, all the action in this, uh, in this in this issue, and just say that I I agree with you, Tim. And it was great seeing the the, the team work together with Batman, and they they all had their little part, especially especially Red Robin, where he outsmarts that uh, that hacker guy, whatever his name is. I can't remember his name. Yeah, I mean either. <laughs> I just realized I've been calling uh, him a General Kane when, in fact, he is a Colonel, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, probably yeah. thinking of General Lane <laughs> from the previous Batman issue, but it's Colonel. i got to make that right. Well, if you want to make the connection, uh, it looks like uh, Colonel Kane is more like a Amanda Walder, or at least he has a team, mm. you know. And he's willing to do things that yeah. <laughs> you know are more extreme like she would. Right. Um, but going back to Kate and... Uh, her dad it, it's just these little things that james tinian does so well that that makes me really really love this book and the highlights is one panel for me it's the the panel on the end before uh uh colonel kane says do it that which is the last panel and it's it's a scene of kate and him hugging and he like you said tim it, it it's the moment where he realizes that you know it Kate's not going to lead this army, so I have to do it myself. And he thinks back to that moment where he promises Kate, Kate that uh, you know he'll give her anything. You know he'll do anything to give her what she wants. And I don't know if he's saying do it because he has to do it himself, or because he realizes that he couldn't give Kate what she wanted. You know, she she just he he failed at that, and like I said, it's just little things like that that's thrown into the mix that makes these book makes Detective so so great. And for this issue, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna give it four and a half out of five uh, Jordan emails that we lost and found again because this one was the the best one we we've gotten so far for me and I can only see it getting better. So yeah, four and a half out of five for me. Yep. I mean, I just hope the story goes on for so long <laughs> or at yeah. least this team dynamic as long as it can. Right. Right. Um, so all-star Batman number one, the most anticipated book of the rebirth. Tim. Yeah. We got Scott Snyder again on a Batman title. I mean, he hasn't been gone that long, but it's still good to have him back. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, he's been building up as a Batman Two-Face road trip story, which when you hear that, like, how is that going to work? And, like, what's this going to be about? But after reading the issue, I mean, so far, Scott Snyder has done it again. I am invested in the story. I like what <laughs> he's doing with Batman and Two-Face in this new arc he has planning. And, yeah, overall, I really love this issue. Because going into it, I wasn't, like I said, not quite sure what to expect from it from what we've heard of it being like a road trip. But I love how it starts where we're just in this diner, people are having conversations, and all of a sudden the window crashes through with Batman being held by Firefly and Killer Moth. 
two characters that you know make the perfect combination to <laughs> to each other. One's a fly, one's a moth. Both uh, are fly around. One with fire and moth. Killer moth, I think, has like this acid or toxin instead of fire. But I always felt they would make a good pairing, and they do here. And but you don't know why they have Batman, but Batman's able to take them down when they get overconfident, thinking they have Batman, and he stops them. And you know the people are saying like telling Batman, oh, like you brought them here, this is your fault. And there's other people going, no, he saved us. But before Batman can do anything, he gets taken out of the diner through another window by these big robotic arms. And you're like, what the heck's going on? But then we get a flashback. That's 22 minutes prior. And that's one thing I like this issue. It's it's not a, a linear issue, that's for sure. It kind of goes all over the place as far as t- giving you flashbacks, which help t- tell the story. But it's laid out in a way that's not confusing. You definitely follow the story and realize what's going on as you're seeing this flashbacks and then getting brought back into the present time. So uh, we see a Batman has two faces, who has his, his face covered in a mask, you know, about uh, them traveling together as thus being the road trip <laughs> that's being, uh, which was being uh, highlighted throughout the promotion of this story. And so we then get another flashback that was two hours ago where, Batman, Gordon, and Duke in his costume, which we haven't really seen too much of, which was cool, uh, being talking to Gordon about having Dent captured after he released this, like... Hey, Tim, uh, how, how do you lay Duke's uh, uh, costume? It's not bad. It's not great. There's yeah. something about the yellow. Um, yellow is not really yeah, one of my favorite it's colors. The yellow. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, the yellow. If he had a different color scheme, I think I'd probably like it a little better. But, uh, yeah, he was having this Two-Face, this acid rain come down upon Gotham. They were able to stop stop him and save most of the people, but they have Two-Face in custody. And, you know, Batman has this plan of what he wants to do with them, and not everyone's on board with it. And we get the reasoning behind it as Harvey Dent, not Two-Face, the Harvey Dent version or portion of this personality sent this video recording to Batman where he's saying like, Bruce, if this reaches you, you have to know that uh, he's like the two-faced side of me, he's coming back quicker. He's lasting longer, and like I'm losing myself completely. Pretty much, this side of me is not going to be here anymore. And you need to do what you have to do to stop me. And there's he mentioned something about you know there's this house that Bruce needs to take him. He says, "I don't explain what it is or why he needs to get there, but he says he tells Bruce." You know what it is, and if you take me there, it'll stop this. It'll stop me like once and for all. And so, uh, Gordon's not sure on it. And like Bruce reassures him, you know, this is my idea. I know what I have to do. But then a wrench gets thrown into this whole thing as the Two Face, the bad portion of Harvey Dent's personality, put out you know a bounty on <laughs> on him and Batman to like all the criminal underworld and not even just criminals, anyone. If he, they can bring Batman in or stop him and to get Two-Face back, Harvey or Two-Face will like release all this information upon like that he has secret that will, you know, bring down or give people control of like the Gotham underworld and these criminal organizations and of course giving people power. So that explains why Killer Moth and Firefly were after Batman. And then as we get taken back into the present, uh, the next person who was after Batman was the Black Spider, who I previously mentioned should be in the next Suicide Squad movie. And Batman takes him out too <laughs> with a chainsaw of all things, just 
carrying out these robotic arms that had Batman captured for a while. I just love seeing Batman take out these like sea level villains who think uh, they have what it takes to bring down Batman and they fail miserably so bad. And then Firefly tries to come back and get him <laughs> one more time, but then he sees how badly Batman taken has taken out the Black Spider and he just runs off into the grass fields. <laughs> it, was, it was this awesome little moment. So Batman goes on to check on, on Two Face, but then the waitress from the diner comes to her or comes to Batman and Batman tells her, no, you shouldn't be here. But she says, I just want to say I'm sor- sorry. But then Batman fills a gun across the head. And you're thinking, oh, it's probably Two-Face. But no, it's just the citizens of the city. And they're trying to bring Batman in for the bounty that Harvey put on the, on both of them. And they're saying, you know, we're sorry we didn't mean to do this, but we want that money. And Batman tries re- reasoning to them, you know, it's not worth it. Whatever he promises you, it's going to come at a price. But then Two-Face makes himself known. And... Uh, he comes to, you know, tell Batman, you know, these laws. And one of the people from the bar actually shoots Batman in the back. And uh, the person tells Two-Face, he's like, I did it. I, I defeated Batman. And then Two-Face, you know, says, okay, fine, but show me his body. But before Two-Face can do anything else, Batman just pulls him from the grass where he was lying down and just drags him back into a, a pickup truck because now his... Uh, the bat wing was destroyed by Killer Moth and Firefly, which is how he got crashed into that bar. And so he has Two-Face in custody in this pickup truck, but then uh, Alfred comes to talk to him because he's been monitoring, to, monitoring Batman's position with Two-Face and uh, tracking you know, any interference that may come on the bat wing. But then we get the re- reveal as Batman is telling Alfred, you know, I'm cutting off communication because someone took down the bat plane and someone close must be working with him so i gotta go stealth on this then alfred's trying to say you know like wait bruce i just wants to say and batman just goes signing off he just goes i just want to say i'm sorry i had to do it thinking realizing he was the one who you know let killer moth and firefly in on batman's position of the batwing because alfred is not down with this idea of batman traveling with harvey dent and two-face this long way to get into that house he thinks Two, obviously Two-Face can't be trusted and think it's dangerous and that this could all just be some trap for Batman. He doesn't want to see Batman uh, being taken down like this. So he wanted to try and do what he can to stop Batman from taking Two-Face to that location. So that was a reveal <laughs> that I wasn't expecting. And then the issue ends with Batman tossing his communicator out the window from the truck, but they have a stallway. A villain we haven't seen a Batman comic for so long is making his uh, hitchhiking his way onto Batman and Two Face location, and it's Gentleman's Ghost. So that should be interesting to see Batman take him on next. I just like that idea of Batman's. Hopefully, each issue we'll see Batman taking on these villains we're familiar with, but you know, aren't the top tier Batman villains that should make for some fun sequences like we got in this issue. So then there is a backup story with uh, how Batman's training Duke and. Uh, we'll see how this pl- if this plays in at all to the overall story with him and Two Face, but I do like we get to see the inside of Batman's training methods that he has with Duke, and you know this whole like r- wheel that he has with different colors that are uh, supposed to show like represent the different members of like how uh, Nightwing, Barbara, and Tim reacted to certain situations that Batman has tested them on. So it's pretty interesting to see how Batman goes about in training Duke. So uh, 
it wasn't you know the best part of the whole issue, but it was a pretty cool backup to see how Batman uh, operates and training his new partners. So I really like this issue. It was really fun. I'm into the story that Scott Snyder is sending up between Batman and Two Face, the bounty that Harvey Dent put on them or Two Face put on them, and so which means we're going to see a lot of villains try to stop them. And I'm curious to see what is at that house that Batman's trying to take Two Face to. So the Alfred thing that was the only thing I wasn't sure on. I don't know if it really had to be there. Alfred should kind of trust Bruce enough to, you know, didn't do what he had to do because uh, I just felt a little out of character to me with Alfred. So that part might be the only negative, but hopefully it won't come back and be a big thing that hurts the overall story. So other than that, I love this issue and I'm going to give it four and a half out of five Jordan emails that we lost, but then have found again. I I thought this new series is off to a great start. Sounds like you're not really a Batman fan, Tim. You're more of an Alfred fan. <laughs> hey, Alfred's such an important character to Batman and Bruce. I mean, it's, it's, he's pretty much is Bruce's father, so I, lo- I don't like it when he's not treated right. Yeah. Um, for me, I I like this issue, but I didn't appreciate the auto store. I mean, uh, the what do you call it, Tim? The road trip. The, out of order story. Oh, okay. I thought you said like, some with like an automobile. That <laughs> like, oh, you talking about the road trip? <laughs> yeah, and I I didn't really know how this road trip thing would work. Um, just Batman and Two Face in a in, in the Batwing going to someplace. Um, didn't really know how that was going to work out, but it ended it it, it ended up paying off because um, I think because of Two Face. How he's playing it with yeah. the with the bounty and stuff, and that sort of I don't know if it's a flashback or something or whatever that is, where he's saying um, he can't uh, or Batman needs to take him to the house so that uh, Harvey doesn't lose himself to Two Face, you know. And I thought I missed something reading this whole issue. Uh, because it, it seemed like Two Face had a lot of power. Um, was that something in Scott Snyder's Batman before that? No, he hasn't really tackled too much of Two Face before. Yeah. So That's, it could have been. I mean, we had, they had that story, that origin story that Peter Tomasi did. Yeah. In Batman and Robin that one time, but other than that, I haven't read too many other stories Two-Face. with Two Face. So maybe it happened right. like Batman and Robin Eternal, maybe. No. But or unless this is something Scott Snyder is just setting up in this story, so yeah, I think he's just setting it up. But I, I think this issue works because of Two Face. I mean, Batman's a given. Batman will work in his own comic, but I think uh, Scott Snyder's strength here is Two Face and how he turns all those people in the diner against Batman um, in that one scene where mm-hmm. uh, they it looks like they're going to make sure that he's okay, but they end up. Um, wanting to capture him, you know. And again, what what's in this house? I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I after I read this issue, I I was just wondering like for like 2 days I was wondering what's in this house, you know? Like what could possibly be in this house that'll save Two-Face from himself? Um is uh his wife still alive? Uh, I I can't remember her name. Uh, uh, Gilda. Gilda. Gilda Dent. Right? Is is Gilda still alive? Um, well, in the, 
Yeah, I don't know, because she's sitting pretty dead in that origin story for the New 52. Yeah. So. Yeah, oh, what's in this house, Tim? I know. <laughs> like, it could also just be a trap where there's yeah, nothing could, there that Tupac just wants to. A giant trap. Yeah, he just wants to end Batman there. But if I know Scott Snyder, I know that he's not going to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just wondering what's in that house. Um, but again, even though it was told out of sequence, I, I love it. I, I, I like this story. Um, and I can't wait to see where it's going, especially because of how, how they ended things with Alfred. Like, like, why did Alfred do that? And it's, it, it, maybe it he perfect, knows what's at that house that Bruce yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know. I, I'm just wondering what's in that house, and I like that. <laughs> I, I liked how they ended it with with Alfred too. It's the perfect cliff, cliffhanger, just like the the um, Batman game. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, so. they kind of do complement each other in that way. Yeah, so so definitely good issue. Uh, a good issue. Um, four out of five. Jordan emails that we lost and then found again. So now we can finally get into the. To me, the best issue <laughs> this episode. Um, Wonder Woman number four, Tim. Yeah, right next to Detective Wonder Woman has been <laughs> the, one of the more consistent issues since Rebirth, or titles since Rebirth, and this one's no exception. And I still don't know which ones I like better, the origin stories of Wonder Woman that we're getting or the current story with her and Cheetah. They've both been really good. Every time the current issue you read, it becomes like your favorite. So, And again, this one's just kind of doing a retelling of Wonder Woman's origin, and it does a good job of it. It's familiar, the stuff we know. The Amazons are going to hold a competition to see who gets to take um, Steve Trevor uh, back to man's world, and we know that Diana's... Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not only that. It's the ambassador for uh, the Amazons, for mm-hmm. Temascara. Yeah, and one of the things that was different about it, and I'm curious if it'll be like this in the movie, too, where... In the other stories for Wonder Woman, Diana enters in secret because you know she wasn't allowed to by her mother. And but this one, you know, they expect her to do it, and she goes in there, you know, without being a secret, and she's you know expected to win, kind of, which she does, of course, which we all knew what was going to happen. But um, it, there's some higher stakes here because whoever wins and leaves the mascara, they can't come back. And so you know, of course, it's hard for her mother Hippolyta to see her daughter leave. Uh, forever knowing what it means to take Steve Trevor back to our world. So it was, like I said, it's familiar, but it's still good to read <laughs> again in this issue. And it did enough stuff to, you know, still have it feel fresh for uh, becoming this new origin for Wonder Woman. And I did like, too, how, like, the Council of the Amazons were going through Steve Trevor's items and, you know, seeing what all this stuff was, especially like when they picked up the gun as a weapon they'd never seen before, and it kind of freaks some of the uh, members of the council out where they hear the gun blast. You see one cover her ears. It's like to kind of compare it to a bow and arrow, but much more deadlier and quicker. And how they're looking at uh, like one of the emblems uh, from one of the soldiers of trying to see how of what it could mean almost like a sign from the gods stuff of what's to come. So I like that aspect of it, of them trying to analyze all the weapons and technology from man's world. So, and then great stuff with the tournament. I mean, the art's fantastic in this story. I mean, both uh, stories that are going on in the bi-monthly books for one of them have been great. 
And one of the cool moments, again, going back to the weapons that they had to decide the winner was who can, you know, parry the bullet blast with their bracelets that, you know, Wonder Woman has made famous. And we see some deflected, but they deflected into themselves. And Wonder Woman is the only one who was able to do it successfully. They don't even show it. They just make you assume that that's going to happen because the last two panels you see Hippolyta points the gun at Wonder Woman and the last panel on that page is a classic shot that we see Wonder Woman do so many times with her bracelets crossed and up to her face. I mean, we got a great shot of that in Batman versus Superman. <laughs> it reminded me of that. So that that's how the tournament ends. We just see that pose of Wonder Woman. We know she's the winner. And she goes, she sets off to take Steve back. And the great like splash page too of her finally donning the Wonder Woman costume. And like throughout the course too of the, I don't know if it was during the tournament or like before she actually got revealed as Wonder Woman, but you see the Amazons preparing everything, like getting the lasso of truth, her armor, her tiaras, getting all that ready for the winner. So it was a great little, you know, tease of what's to come for whoever, well, we know it was going to be Diana, but in the story, whoever was going to win the competition was going to have the honor of wearing that. And even the invisible jet makes an appearance too. Uh, that's going to take yeah. Steve back. And that shows them using their, uh, almost look like, I don't know if they actually said what it was, but there was a small panel of them putting this material on the crash plane that Steve Trevor had. Yeah, it looks like fish it. scales or something. Yeah, it does yeah. definitely look like scales. But I thought that was a cool little touch. That was my favorite part of the book. But <laughs> <laughs> or or when Steve is because uh, he he doesn't speak their language and he's he, yeah he's just like okay I'm gonna talk to myself then yeah <laughs> and he's <laughs> I think it's great and I don't know how you fixed my plane and I don't I definitely don't know how you made it invisible <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so that ending was great and then seeing her or Wonder Woman and Steve take off in that invisible jet and I thought another nice touch too was Steve appreciating that they were. Uh, letting him take the soldiers back who died in the crash to yeah. be buried back home. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, it's setting up to, you know, the story of Wonder Woman's origin now coming to where she lands in man's world and see her adapt to that. So I can't wait to two issues, actually not the next one, but once we get to that aspect of her origin. So yeah, another awesome issue. The series continues to impress both on both fronts of taking place in the current timeline and then telling her origin. So I'm going to give this one four out of five Jordan emails that we lost but then found. Yeah. Um, Wonder Woman definitely getting better with each issue, especially this issue because we know she leaves Themyscira and comes to uh, our world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know this story. Uh, we've seen it thousands of times, just like um, – Bruce's origin story we've seen it thousands of times but it's what they do what what Greg Rucka does uh different and uh sort of refreshes how she leaves um and it, it it's just the way he writes Diana in these scenes where she be, before she's one rolling those are my favorite scenes um in the past three issues because she doesn't she doesn't seem like the Diana that, that we know. She seems really, really innocent. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, like she doesn't know about the world a lot. Um, she, she just seems to be wondering what's over there, you know, like, like past the ocean. She seems like a dreamer kind of uh, woman. Um, 
it's it's just I, I I just love those scenes how how she's written in those scenes and w- when she finally you know puts on the Wonder Woman outfit it it seems like everything sort of is coming together at the end even though you know things are sort of like like you look back at this issue and it it seems like things are sort of rushed you know it, uh, Steve gets better they they talk about all of his stuff and they have the the um, Themyscira Games, the, the, the Themyscira Olympics, since we're in Olympics right now. <laughs> How um, fitting. Yeah. Um, and her and Steve leave Themyscira. It seems really rushed, but there's just enough. And I noticed that James Tinian does the same thing. He rushes through things, but he gives you just enough, just enough quality to, to hold it over, to, to make yep. it meaningful. And Greg Rucker does the same thing here. And it's these little things like, like Diana talking to her mom and Diana talking to Steve and the, the whole scene in, that, in, in the Queen's Chamber, I guess you could call it, where, um, where they're just trying to figure out why Steve is there, you know? And it's just little things like that. And, and to conclude it with Wonder Woman and, or Diana and Steve going off to, to our world, it, it it just wraps everything up nicer, like like so nice, and um, yeah, it, I mean it looks like we're getting the Wonder Woman origin story when she when she comes here, and she has to adjust to man's world. Like like I said, she's she's not only Wonder Woman; she she's an ambassador for Themyscira. She's I, I think it's the, I think it's her mom who says she's. Themyscira's gift to the world. She's the Amazon's gift to the world, and it's just really sad that she she can't go back there. And like I said, it, this this series just keeps on getting better and better with each and every issue. And I can't say enough about it. So this one, I'm going to give five out of five. Nice uh, <laughs> Jordan emails that we lost and found. So definitely good stuff. If you're not picking up Wonder Woman, you really want to pick that up. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully um, our reviews are selling it to you if you're on the fence yeah. about it or weren't interested. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is great. Yeah, especially Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman does a really, really good job with character building, not only for Diana but for Steve and everybody around him. Uh, but mostly Diana. It's really, really great character building, and I feel that it's gonna. It's really going to be paying off with these next these upcoming issues, so definitely pick them up if you're not already. Um, but yeah, that that concludes our episode, right, Tim? Yep. Again, a lot of great stuff to talk about on this episode with the comics and our Suicide Squad review and geeking out over the Telltale Batman game. Definitely the comics because the, there's not a real really weak one. Among them. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, everything is good now. Yeah. <laughs> the Batman game, we got a, for some people it was good movie, uh, and the comics are great. So, can't ask for more, right? It's so, a great time to be a fan in general, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's becoming a cliche, but it's so, so true. Yeah, definitely. So, with that, uh, we're done for this week. Uh, go over to the BatmanUniverse.net on Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse. Um, Twitter handle is at BatmanUniverse. Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311. Uh, thank I you. That. I was hoping you say that because of the concert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's, laughs> I appreciate that's pretty it. pretty much why. 
and my Twitter handle is at Dane Says Banana. Uh, you can find us and review us on iTunes, so please do that. Uh, if you want to email the show, you can email the show at BadFansWithoutPants at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at BadFansPodcast. So with that, as we say at the end of every issue, I mean, not every issue, but every episode, <laughs> um, we love you. Just remember, you're feeling alone in this world. Tim and Dean, who in fact love you. So with that, we'll see you guys next time. Independent.